All I heard from that is that you hate guard and you're a bad person. Yeah, <laughs> I also like Eldar. So, <laughs> oh, that's that. That was the bad person part. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, as you're not playing Inari. That doesn't make you. You're not that bad a person. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the Warhammer 40k podcast for all factions, even Guard. I'm your host, Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. And if we all sound a little bit different, that is because <laughs> in the Kansas City area, we are well and truly snowed in. We got a good 8 to 10 inches uh, last night. There are parts of the city without power, although obviously none of us have lost power because we're all still here. Uh, but we are bringing this to you uh, via the powers that be at Skype. Uh, because that's the only way we can all easily get together. And, of course, Kevin is completely unaffected by the snow. Yeah, it's 65 and sunny. It's, it's pretty great. <laughs> it's sunny here. Yeah, well, it is, except it's also overcast. So, Or is it sunny at your house? It's kind of sunny. I mean, well, then again, it might just be this, this few rays of sunlight reflecting off the snow, making I, everything look bright. I think it's more that than anything. I think the surface is very is really white hot. winterscape out there. It is. Absolutely. Yeah. We had to shovel twice yesterday. So, oh, wow. Yeah. It, That's yeah. terrible. I, I just waited till today and, and knocked everything off my car just a little bit ago. So fun times. <laughs> And of course, all our friends up in Minnesota are like you, you weaklings. This is nothing. <laughs> True, but but this this was enough snow to paralyze a good chunk of uh, the Kansas City area. Although it did not uh, paralyze the KC Chiefs at all. No. Or the eighty thousand people that went out to the game. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Yeah, they played through this and won. So congratulations, they broke their playoff home home game curse. Yeah, yeah, and that. But we're not here to bring you football coverage. We're here to bring you 40k coverage. Uh, and, and if we're you not going to branch out into Blood Bowl, uh, we, we we could. Although I'm, I, that's another game I I don't need to collect. So and we don't have time for. <laughs> and we don't have time for. <laughs> yeah. Not that that's yeah. ever stopped me from trying, but uh, I'm going to actually <laughs> back off on this one. Um. And if you notice that we are not the Undergopher Warhammer 40k podcast, uh, that is because. Sadly, the the Undergopher podcast under discussion is well and truly retired at this point. Uh, so um, it just felt like this is it's a new year, so it's time to kind of move along and try to strike out an identity for ourselves. We've only been doing this for almost eight years. We should be able to toot our own horn. Screw those guys anyway. Those hosts were assholes. Yeah, <laughs> both of them yeah. that are on this show. <laughs> <laughs> preferred enemy is now with 50% asshole (laughs) well 75% I'm not going to count you Dennis but I'm probably qualified (laughs) anybody who takes Slanesh Demons to a major tournament loses everything and it comes away and saying it was one of the best events he has ever been to cannot qualify as an asshole (laughs) hey I had a lot of fun there you did have a lot of fun so, and I have uh, to prove it. 
Uh, but uh, so today, the th- uh, the three of us assholes and Dennis are going to bring you a discussion, <laughs> uh, kind of a follow up on our Imperial Knight Codex review from a few months back, because obviously when we got to the end of that review, we were running out of time for recording. And that's when we were just starting to get to like stratagems and household traits and relics. And after a few months of play, it's turned out that that's actually a really important chunk of the book. And it's it's also kind of a good time to re-examine where we are both with that and with what changes we've had from big FAQ2 and how knights are kind of fitting into everything competitively. Uh, so uh, we wanted to talk about that today. Uh, but first, as always, news and new releases and uh, your listener mail – and uh, news and new releases, one thing we had after our last recording was uh, they had the uh, – oh, I just um, – they had a, an open day for the new year. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, the yeah, the new year open day. And uh, there was some cool stuff shown off for 40K. Uh, obviously, Gene Steeler cults are getting a lot of attention. We know they are coming soon. And yes. – uh, we got some new pictures of the uh, the bikers, which are the Adeline Jackals, the Jackal Alphys, who is the sniper. They've got the the four wheeler with the uh, seismic laser on there. The uh, they're getting some terrain with a giant mining drill, which looks cool. Yeah, and, and then the four new characters they're getting look fantastic. Yeah, the the I I really like the female Magus. Yeah, she looks pretty awesome. Yeah, she does. I like the. Uh, I also like the assassin with the familiar who is also wearing night vision goggles. Yeah, <laughs> not that he needs them. He's a gene stealer, but it's amusing if nothing else. But yeah, the female Magus looks awesome. Uh, they've got the some guy with it looks like a vox caster of some sort, and uh, then some guy that looks like. Double-crossed blades on his back. He's got an icon on his back, and then he's got a lot of, well, I wouldn't call them purity seals because they're all marked with uh, Gene Stealer cult logos, but uh, there's just some really neat stuff going on in their range, and uh, I'm curious to see what's going to come out of the out of the new Gene Stealer cult codex because from everything that we've been hearing, it's like it's a complete revamp of of the army with all these new options that they're throwing in. Yeah, it'll be yeah. cool to see the new characters and stuff they have and how those all play together. Because before, they only had really the three, and you were kind of limited in what you could do with them. So expanding that out, giving them a lot more options is super cool. Let's see. And then we've got uh, Kill Team is getting an expansion called Arena, which is to make it a competitive gaming, like a, a competitive-focused like skirmish game, which basically looks like playing Space Hulk, sort of. The grid's all broken down into, looks like broken down into squares. And so I'm assuming it's meant to play faster, possibly without a tape measure. Yes. So, yeah, they say pre-constructed maps. It's basically like an an interior with bulkhead doors and some scatter terrain to block line of sight. I'm not quite, yeah, I'm not sure how that's going to change up the game. I think, I thought Kill Team was already pretty good for competitive play, but, uh, Apparently, it's not fast enough, I guess. Not so. I, yeah, I could see them like it being almost more of like a board game type setup type thing. And then like you could go through and just play super fast with this. Like, hey, here's the pre-built things. Here's, you know, here's your grid squares. Here's all this works. And, and make it a super tight 
competitive game. But then also, you know, being an expansion, you still have regular kill team that you can run as well. True, true. So it'll be interesting to see how this fits in with the existing kill team ecosystem. And if this kind of takes off or if we're going to see it played alongside regular kill team or like how how's this gonna gonna work and then on top of that they've got two new kill teams coming out and what's interesting is the new kill teams are starting to come with characters as well so they're getting commanders added in and that's where we're finally going to see the gene sterile cult uh gunslinger yeah Mm -hmm. and then the new uh tech priest they've got the tech priest manipulus the big fatty tech priest they've got here now (laughs) looks really cool so yeah. uh, a little bit more variety, and I'm assuming we'll see 40k rules for the for both of those. Well, obviously we'll see them in, for the gunslinger in the uh, GSC cult or codex, but uh, yeah, it'll be curious to see if we get a 40 40k data sheet for that uh, new tech priest. Uh, there's a new kill zone for Sector Fronteris, so I guess cowboy shootouts in the 40k, you know, in the 41st millennium. Uh, let's see, and then. Uh, we got, they did their, and there's one more thing. And the one more thing, well, also actually two more things. One is the Blackstone Fortress. We're getting a first, uh, expansion for that, which adds an amble, <laughs> which for all intents and purposes is like sci-fi Umber Hulk from the look of it. Yeah. And like even Necromunda is getting robot versions of it, which is kind of cool. Uh, but, uh, yeah, so Blackstone Fortress that basically ha- it's like you can either run like a side scenario where you go into its lair or you can just like shuffle it into the deck and have it come up as uh, one of the enemies that you fight in the map, which I'd really <laughs> wish they wouldn't. <laughs> that, thing, that thing looks like it's going to murder you all. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, let's your- let's. Let's see how that o- OP, you know, cultist with the with the flamethrower is now when uh, <laughs> yeah. and Umber Holt comes up and squishes it. Yeah, I, I don't <laughs> see that fight ending well. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm super cool to bring an Ambles back though, because like again, that's one of those rogue trader things that was a super cool like fluff piece of the you know of 40k back in the day and just kind of fell to the wayside and it, it's good that they're mining that stuff to bring these characters back oh, oh absolutely i mean that the rogue trader was a weird amalgam of things but there's a lot of bits there that are worth pillaging mm-hmm. although i still want to see the blackstone fortress expansion for obi-wan uh <laughs> obi-wan sherlock clouseau so yes <laughs> and then finally we are getting apparently a new uh I'm, I think it's supposed to be a sorcerer yeah. for uh, the Black Legion for uh, the build-up to Vigilus. Because we're less than 60 days now, right? Till yeah. Until the, the Black Legion timer is up. Yeah, it's, I think it's sometime in early March is when it's when it's due to run out. And I hope you like animal skulls and fire because that is what this guy is made of. I mean, it's chaos, so yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, no, I think I, it looks awesome. I've seen entire sisters armies with fewer braziers than that guy has on him. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> but no, he he's an awesome looking model. I mean, again, GW has really been stepping up their their model building game over the over the last several years, and this guy is no exception. Uh, so, I'm excited to see what's going to happen when that timer runs out and. Uh, 
maybe we the 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 rumor is at this point that we might see a new Abaddon, which would be about bloody time. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, uh, well overdue. Well overdue. Well overdue. He needs to not be smaller than the normal Terminator. Uh, so, uh, yeah. And then uh, we've got some more details on Urban Conquest, which just went up for pre-order. Uh, and it's, you know, a lot of it is stuff that they kind of teased at before where you will build out. You, you've got this uh basically sheet with all these like a clear sheet with pockets in it and you will you've got a deck of locations in the city and you basically you can either build manually or just randomly deal out a city landscape and kind of the layout of the city and then fight a camp basically a map-based campaign on that and there's going to be like a random like there'll be a strategic goal that you'll have for the whole campaign. You'll have random events that happen from round to round. So it's an entire, it's again, one of these like campaign system in a box. Uh, but I also with a lot of urban scatter terrain, uh, also they're adding a new, uh, there's a new terrain kit, the minister or uh, the manufactorum kit for, which is basically uh mechanicus themed, terrain along the same lines of the the newer Sector Imperialis stuff we have. So it's buildings, but with Mechanicus markings and flooring and such that is much more like the Sector Mechanicus, like, you know, incinerators and furnaces and things like that. So it's meant to be kind of a bridging set between those buildings and, like, the the walkways and things like that. So I'm excited to see them fleshing out that terrain i've already got a set on pre-order you know one of those boxes on pre-order so i can mix it with my uh, mechanicus terrain that i have yet to build but i will be building but i i'm i'm really excited for urban urban conquest and i will also say apparently it's going to include all the uh, cities of death rules in it and uh dennis you and i got to actually play a game with a couple listeners uh jim border and his son jameson came up again and we actually used the cities of death uh cover rules for the game and i have to say i really like them i I do like them i don't think they came into play as much based on the like armies we had but it it was really nice to have that for like the cover rules because it made the buildings and the train feel like they mattered rather than it was just can you see a model yes no right yeah no having just the the minus one penalty can actually make a big enough difference in many cases. I mean, even if you're just taking somebody down from hitting you on threes to hitting you on fours, that's a significant increase in your survivability. And then when you add in the change of hardcover versus softcover, like uh, I was fighting against space marines in like I was firing a heavy bolter at space marines who were in a ruins and suddenly they had hardcover. So they effectively had even with the minus one AP for my heavy bolter, they still had two up armor. And so trying to dislodge them with that weapon was not going to work. And so now weapons that are effective against cover in that system are way more effective. Uh, so there, there's a lot of things about that, about cities of death that I like. And that is a change that like, I'd still love to see brought into 40 K in general. Cause it brings back that seventh edition feel with, with the eighth edition rule set. It still gives you a little bit of that seventh edition terrain matters. Like I said, it doesn't just have to be break line of sight or not. And I think that's just, that's one of the things I don't like about eighth edition is that it does right now, the rules as are, as they are just render terrain. It, it's either perfect or it's useless. And mm-hmm. I don't think that's good. Um, 
Let's see. And I think, I think that's every, you know, everyone's kind of waiting for, for bated breath with either part two of Vigilus or Gene Stealer Cults, whichever we're going to get first. So I guess the one thing that's interesting um, that came up earlier this week, and it's, it's not anything official. It's just a kind of a rumor looking at the box for urban conquest uh, and like the cover of the rule book, whatever people think they may have spotted like a weird new, new like chaos demon engine. And we know that in the past, UW definitely loves slipping in that stuff in there where they, you know, they stuck the uh, plague burst crawler in, in a, you know, on the cover of a book or in the background of a book before it was actually released and stuff like that. So I would not be surprised if we do end up getting a, a, a full wave of chaos stuff when, when Vigilus two hits um, because it seems like they definitely have ideas and, uh, models and characters that they want to try to update with it. Yeah. Now, uh, and, and honestly, we've been talking, and obviously, we've been talking about you know wanting to see campaign books be kind of like the new thing that moves the game forward uh, once all the codexes are out. And yeah, this is this is a perfect opportunity to see that in practice, and I hope they do. Yeah. And I believe that is all the. Uh, all the, the news and new releases, like I said, uh, they're getting ready to roll out some new stuff for Age of Sigmar, so expect a lot of focus on goblins there for a while. Uh, but with, again, some fantastic-looking models. I mean, they're... Those new goblin yeah. dice look ridiculous. The, 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 yeah, the squig dice. I actually saw someone post a video of like how they roll, and they like are bouncy dice. That so, seems like it which could is, be bad. Yes, but it's totally appropriate for little squigs. That's it, true. It is. <laughs> of course, when I f- my my biggest complaint with the squig dice uh, is that they're not dice that are easily readable at a glance. No, not yeah. at all. No, because no. it's usually what like either they're the not. number of like there's either six teeth on one face or you're counting the number of little yellow eyes on the die, right. and they're not arranged <laughs> in any real pattern. So. Yeah, no, they're 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 not super readable. Of course, neither were the the uh, the Death Guard dice. Or, no, they're they're uh, not either. So you know the the purpose of those are are more just to be fun. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. It, yeah. There comes a point where you you're getting boutique dice because they're visually interesting, not because they're actually good. Right. And with that, we'll transition over to your listener mail. If you've got a uh, message you want us to read on the air or list you'd like us to look at we'll tell you how to do that at the end of the segment and our first one actually isn't a technically listener mail um as i said uh, the the show is no longer the undergo for network warhammer 40k podcast so i've been going through and uh, updating our site identity and cleaning up our, our like re- kind of tweaking things for itunes to help make us a little bit more visible and i hadn't checked our uh, iTunes reviews in a while and a uh, our most recent review uh, after a series of five star reviews we got a one star review and I thought <laughs> okay that's weird but let's see what did we do wrong because um, generally if somebody sends you a one star review it means you made them very upset and uh, so this one comes from G-Man 999999999 that is nine nines uh, and uh, this was on, from November 9th uh, of last year. And the message was, they hate guard. 
Uh, quote, uh, this was a great podcast with lots of interesting information until three months ago. It is now the platform for any way to nerf guard. Nobody seems to have a problem with Eldar units that can't even be hit by guard halfway through a game. I hope the content would be more constructive and less destructive in the future. All right, G-Man. Um, so we wanted to kind of take this criticism and I wish to offer a rebuttal. I think we all have, uh, some thoughts on this. First off, I would say it's disingenuous to say that we hate guard or we're looking for any way to nerf guard. Um, I know now judging from the until three months ago, I looked back to what would have been our episodes in August and onward. And the only common theme I can see there would be that we did bring up the whole lucky 32 thing, you know, the mm-hmm. t- uh, three 10 man infantry squads, two company commanders uh, with the uh, Kurov's Aquila, and the uh, Warlord trait, so, you know, for maximum regeneration of uh, command points. And obviously this was before big FAQ2 and we got tactical restraint when that was limited down. So obviously that was a topic we did bring up a lot. I don't know if that qualifies as us hating guard or wanting to nerf guard. In fact, I think I'm, I think several times the topic came up of we like guard armies. We would just like to see guard armies that actually had guard in them. Rather than just a bare mat, a bare smattering of guard for a CP battery. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I will say the one you know, and this is the one thing that we know of as a group. Nobody, none of the four of us play guard, so it is kind of a blind spot a little bit for us. Um, that's part of the reason why we haven't done our guard review code, uh, codex review yet. We have to find someone you know that and schedule the time to get someone on that can talk about it more intelligently than we can. So. Guard is definitely a a sort of blind spot for us, but I don't think anybody genuinely hates guard. Um, I know I've spoken out of against the Lucky 32 in the past. I just like that because I think that's bad game design. That there's if if you always use if you take an entire codex and you distill it down to okay, these three things are the best. Everybody should use it in every list, regardless of what you're playing. It's poor game design. It's poor balance. Um, yes, it's fluffy to have guard show up on a planet with Imperial Knights and with, you know, some space Marines and, and fight in a, you know, Imperial soup list. It's not fluffy to have the same 32 Cadian uh, guards with the same Kirov's Aquila and the same loadout in every list standing in the corner doing nothing but generating CP points so that you can you, you reuse night stratagems. That's not that's not fluffy. So I I I think there's a lot of really good things in that guard codex, and I want to see them get used more, if anything. I guess then I'll, I'll tail off of Kevin's of no, I'm fine with guard being guard, but yeah, we do get tired of the splash of guard, which doesn't act like guard in other armies. Like the bad example I'll use is guard's biggest thing is. They are the best CP generations, getting more CPs, having a lot of CP cheap. And that's guard's advantage. It should be guard's advantage. But when any army can just plunk a little bit of guard in there and suddenly have that advantage, I'll agree with Kim. That's, that's bad design. Like if we're, I were to start up a knight army, since we're going to talk about knights, I don't own guard. And suddenly I feel like I'm playing at a disadvantage because I don't have guard. And then am I really playing knights or am I playing knights plus guard? But what if I want to play knights? Um, the other example is, like I said, the best thing about guard is the CP battery generation thing. Custodes. 
Custode's best thing is two up armor five toughness. What would the outwar be if you put in an army of or like a unit or a detachment of custodes, just a bare minimum, and then suddenly your whole army could get two up armor? I mean, I know that's a bad example because it doesn't happen, but that's sharing their best trait with an entire army. And I think that's the problem with guard. The guard's best trait is guard have lots of CP. And they're sharing it with the entire army. So I know we've talked about other ways to kind of reduce it down to make it where guard, whatever you generate for your detachment is only used for that detachment. So we would love to see guard, a full army of guard play as guard. So that that's what I'm kind of more looking for. And maybe another solution, which I'll put on the unpopular opinions table is extend battle brothers out per from, from per detachment to army so that way your battle brother your battle brothers with your whole army not just each attachment is a best of whatever faction you kind of feel like for your army so and that's something that would apply to other armies such as eldar for example yeah. uh because obviously we see a lot of that now, now some of that like that like El- fixing eldar is what's really going to fix eldar is are uh, you know is getting an inari codex that keeps them from having to cherry pick from the other Eldari codexes. Yes. That's, that, yeah, that's one of the biggest problems with there. And he says, uh, you know, nobody seems to have a problem with Eldari units that can't even be hit by guard. Trust me, I would love to see the ally talk, uh, craft world trait go far away. Just, just go. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It's because I mean, other factions have that exact same one, but that goes back into, I guess, Kevin's poor design is if there's one thing that everyone picks that then maybe it should be looked at because that's a little too strong if the others aren't in line with it to give you options. Right. Yeah. And, and it's, you know, and it's interesting. You have other factions that have the same trait, like, uh, Raven guard or alpha Legion. Yeah. Uh, nobody has a problem with them having it, but that's because the, uh, the synergies in the army are different. And so like, the those armies like don't tend to lean so far on things like flyers or rangers that can like i guess camo cloak scouts would be a little bit in that regard but not exactly but even then it's like they're still not really seen as the issue uh that like an ally talk eldar i cannot count the number of times that any you know it's like if i'm playing an eldar army like almost every time it's going to be ally talk or it's going to be ally talk in same hand because Mm -hmm. that's what people are using. You don't see Ulthway much. You don't see Bealtan much. You, you don't really see Yandin much, even though you might start seeing Yandin a little bit more now that Wraith Knights have gone down in price. Yeah. But before, before now you wouldn't see him. You, you There's only see, the only reason to take Yandin is for Wraith Knights, right? So, uh, but yeah, again, it f- comes down to if there is one good option, and that's the one that everyone takes, you need to look at the design again. Now, granted, all this really only applies in matched play, and that's where a lot of this issue comes from. Is it's the trying to balance what is how do you how do we recreate this this fluffy thing with mechanics on the tabletop, and then how do we balance it from for match play, those are two different things. And I think they're kind of starting to work that out, which is one reason why, like we've, I think, which is one of the reasons why sisters does not have the action economy that they used to with their beta codex, because action economy is stupid. Good. How they're going to fix that for a Nari. Don't know yet. You know, they're, but I imagine they're probably going to look at that and figure out how can we tone that down, but it might be, 
Because right now with Inari, you're not only are you cherry picking the best units, you're getting the best rules for units out of their respective codexes. The mm-hmm. best access to stratagems, the best access to relics. Yeah. Which, yeah, not good. I was just going to say, Inari just need their own codex so you, we can just codify everything, wrap it up, here it is, stop cherry picking. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, but yeah, I, we do not hate guard by any means. Not at all. We're not looking at ways to nerf guard. In fact, um, like every time I see a new faction come up with the uh, the sub trait of oh, and they ignore uh, they ignore all but one casualty for morale. It's like, or they never lose more than one from a failed morale test. It's like, man, guard players must really hate that because after all the kerfuffle with commissars being too good and then being mm-hmm. nerfed into uselessness and now being kind of eh, okay right now, but not really seen that much. Uh, guard players have had a, a very rough go of it. And uh, as far as like the getting the balance, right. And again, it also comes down to synergy where something that was really good for is something that works okay for other factions is really hard to balance for guard because like with guard, if you have a commissar keeping a block of like 20 or 30 conscripts alive to act as a screen or meat shield, that's a lot different than having, you know, a, uh, a sisters group that can keep like a unit of like six to 10 sisters alive by not f- failing a morale test or, you know, only losing one model. It's it, the, the balance is very different. And, uh, but yeah, we don't, we do not hate guard. We'd, we'd love to see, uh, more guard armies just being guard rather than just being splashed in. And again, tactical restraint, I think is bringing that down. I'm seeing more people talking about, uh, using Adeptus Mechanicus or Sisters as a CP battery. And yeah, uh, as our night review will show, CP batteries, like, like you said, Dennis, they're a thing that you kind of have to have to play knights competitively and get the most out of them. And it, it's unfortunate that it should be that way, but uh, that's kind of where we are right now. It just guard was the best at it until recently, and so we were just kind of getting tired of seeing the and they were always the exact same guard lay you know guard build out every time that's what we wanted to see changed and i think we will now i think you'll see more people if they want to run guard they're going to run guard they're actually going to build guard armies and that's what we want to see and i think we will so uh so hopefully that will be more constructive and less destructive for you I, i'm sorry g man that you you didn't like that that particular conversation and i understand like like you said dennis cp is what guard does and when we're saying hey they need to fix that it feels i could see if you're a hardcore guard player feeling like a little being a little bit attacked because like hey that's what our army does why are you down on what our army does so i apologize Mm -hmm. if that's how it came across totally not meant that way all right, next up is from Talon Rooney, and Talon writes, I got a rules question, and I can't seem to figure out which FAQ it's in. Uh, it's my turn. I have a character with the fight first trait. And he's already in melee with another unit. I charge with, say, two more units of mine. Can I choose my fight first dude and then a charging unit to fight before my opponent can interrupt? I know if my fight first dude charge, then his trait becomes irrelevant in regards to the interrupt stratagem. No, you can't. Your opponent always gets a chance to interrupt. So if you had somebody charge, yes, you can still pick your person who fights first instead of a charger. Because for all intents and purposes, they act like a charger. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, you can't, uh, you never get to pick two in a row. Your opponent, well, 
Actually, that maybe not. Because you would do all chargers and then all non-chargers. Hmm. Okay, we're going to possibly have to scrub it. You, you can still um, spin the 2CP to interrupt if that's what, what you were questioning there. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, the question is, does yeah. my... Yeah, your opponent will always get a chance to interrupt. Well, let's see. Counteroffensive, the actual reading of that is this stratagem is used right after an enemy unit that charged has fought. Select one of your own eligible units that fight with it to fight with it next. But if something fights first, generally they, they're worded in such a manner to where they count as charging for that turn. Because the uh, Slanesh Demons, uh, I forget what those are called now, Demonettes get to, get to go first, right? Yeah, all, all Slanesh Demons. Yeah. But, okay. but those are like worded... They always fight first in the fight phase, even if they didn't, they didn't charge. charge. So, I mean, they're treated like they charged, but they didn't charge. Yeah. I, my, my, if you're going rules as written, then it would be stupidly, yes, you'd have to wait until a charging unit did it. I think spirit of the rules is the fight first trait. Since it isn't counts as charging, they could interrupt after your first one. But I think this would need an FAQ. Let's see. And I'm I'm looking at the main FAQ. The closest thing I can see on that is if you have, if a unit has the ability to allow it to fight twice. The, trust me, we're getting back around to this. Um, if a unit has the ability that allows it to fight twice in the fight phase, at what point during the fight phase do they fight for the second time? Uh, treat each time the unit is able to fight as a separate unit selected for to fight for all purposes. It talks about that how. Um, so if you get such a unit at charge this turn, it will fight both times before any units that did not charge. If the unit did not charge this turn, then after all units that did charge a fought, you can select this unit to fight with, etc., etc. Note that any rule that interrupts the normal sequence of who fights first, such as the counter-offensive stratagem or the Slanesh Demon's Quicksilver Reflexes ability, may be used to fight in between the unit's first and second fight. Uh, so basically what they're saying is... Uh, Quicksilver Reflexes or any other Fight First ability has kind of the same timing as charged units, but that doesn't allow, that doesn't stop somebody else from using uh, Counter-Offensive Stratagem. And uh, if it's your turn and you ha you ha can choose a unit that charged, or you can use like a unit with Quicksilver Reflexes because you specifically have a unit that says this unit always fights first, uh, and now if it was your opponent's turn, you could choose it after they chose their first charger. I mean, that's the closest thing I can find on it. There's not much, uh, like most of them now are, yeah, are worded, you know, they're very clearly, you know, this always fights in the first phase. If your opponent charged, they, then you can select this after they had their first, you know, charging unit. It does interrupt the normal timing. Now, and, and I know what you're saying, Dennis, about the counteroffensive stratagem saying that, you know, after, how's it worded again? Like after a unit has charged... Yeah. After a unit that has charged has fought, hmm. you can use that strategy. Well, so also looking at just the core rulebook for the com you know, for the fight phase, it's worded in such a way in the core book of like, you know, all units that charged fight first, only units can be selected once. So I kind of take that as like the the way that the way that the stratagem and the way that the, the fight rules are written is here's the normal sequence only units that charge can can go 
only units can fight once, etc. And then, hey, these units here have rules that allow it to fight as if it charged. So I don't think, yeah, I, I kind of still agree with you that I think that you basically count all of those units that are going to fight first as units that fight first. And then when after you get to select the first one, and then they get the opportunity to interrupt, and then you continue on with the rest of the ones that get to go first. And, and I'll say I agree with that, but I would prefer GW to put a little fact just so it has a little more weight mm-hmm. to it. Yeah, because I can see where the like unclearness of or the specificity of the way that stratagem is worded could lead you to believe that I could uh, pick a unit that has a special rule that lets it fight first, then pick a charger to fight first, and only after I pick the charger can you then use counteroffensive. Yeah. I, I think that should use uh, a fac somewhere. So Quicksilver Swiftness, for example, uh, which is the replacement for Quicksilver Reflexes. Uh, this unit always fights first in the fight phase, even if it didn't charge. If the enemy has units that have charged or that have a similar ability, then alternate choosing units to fight with, starting with the player whose turn is taking place. Wow, that it does seem like there that is written very specifically. Were you looking in the core rulebook FAQ or the designer's commentary? Yes, both. I've been looking at both. both. Okay. I've also even been looking at these stepping into a new edition of 40K. Yeah, no, you know, I, I'm checking to see if uh, the print, the wording on any uh, tactical uh, decks, like the stratagems included in uh, any of the tactical objective decks, is worded any differently. Counteroffensive, nope, even on the, like, I'm looking at my Blood Angels one. Uh, stratagem is used right after an enemy unit that charged has fought. Select one of your own eligible units and fight with it next. Uh, uh you know, the more I, the more and more I look at it. I mean, like, I still think it's, I still think it's meant to be, you c- they count as chargers and then you just select all of them. Because if we go back to the, the Quicksilver, uh, rule for Demonettes, which I'm, Close my book. Now I gotta find uh, it again. Page eighty-five uh, on in the Chaos Demons Codex is a good place for it. Yeah, quick there silver, we go. Quick silver, uh, quick silver swiftness. So it mentions you know they always fight first in the fight phase. If the enemy has units that have charged or have a similar ability, then you alternate choosing, starting with the player whose turn is taking place. Which it's a clunky way of wording it because they don't mention what happens if you also have other units that charge. But they basically said here that if you have units that charge or fight first, you alternate choosing between them depending on whose start, you know, whose turn it is. So to me, that means that counts like they've charged. So even if if it's your turn and you charged and your opponent has no no characters that are units that have that ability, you basically can then go through and select your units the same way. So I, I don't know. I mean, I know it's not it's not exact and it seems really weird that they specified one part of it, but not the other. But I, I, I would say that through the rules interpretations, I would, I would say that they count as charging. And then that still impacts the wording in such a way that like, yeah, you, when you select a unit that counts as charging, then you get to interrupt. Okay. So now I'm going to throw a curveball at you. If you, let's say we did the charge phase. Let's say I'm, I'm playing, let's say Dennis is playing, Slanesh Demons, because that's a thing he does. Man, that's uh, a stretch. I know. But Dennis, you're playing Slanesh Demons. You charged me last turn, last or last battle round. Mm-hmm. And now we're, we're stuck in. 
and uh, it's oh, now that's the bad next, for me. It, well, <laughs> depending on how many demonettes there are, and I'm probably playing tower or something. It's not good for me either. Um, so let's say you know, we're still fighting. Although how how a unit of ten tower would have survived like twenty some demonettes running into it, I don't know. We're uh, using our imagination here. We're using our imagination. In this in this universe, Tau can actually survive in close combat even if they can't deal damage. Dennis uh, rolled his dice and instead of hitting the table, they disappeared. <laughs> <laughs> and thus the Tau survived. There we go. <laughs> Lost to the warp. So so we're on or let's say, you know, like I had a couple of guys, maybe I had two people that survived through a miraculous amount of good saves. And so we're on my turn, or maybe we're on Dennis's turn again, and nobody charged. There are no charges. Dennis did not charge anyone. So then we go to the fight phase. Well, let's say he's got two units there with Quicksilver Swiftness. Can I interrupt them? Technically, nobody charged. Hmm. But they would still be selected first. They always fight first, and you would alternate units with that ability before anyone else could go. Technically, by the wording of that stratagem, no, you can't. Hmm. And I haven't seen anywhere in the FAQ that says these units count as having charge, just that they fight first. So the more and more I'm reading it, my initial uh, take on it, with what I said earlier, which was like, oh, no, you always have a chance to interrupt. Uh, maybe not. See, and this that's where I was getting into the letter versus the spirit. The letter, yeah. how I'm interpreting it, the, the interpretation is no, but the spirit, I for especially with the back and forth and back and forth, the spirit would say yes, which is why I'm I'm gonna pitch this one back to GW. Say this is this is needs a fac. Yeah. Yeah, I'd say yeah, this is this needs to be in the FAQ. Um, maybe we'll send, maybe we should send one off to F to GW yes. after this episode yeah. is over. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I would say for right now, if you, a very strict and extremely strict rules is written argument is technically you could, if you had units that always fight first and you had chargers, you could theoretically pick the unit that always has to fight first before you picked a charger and your opponent could not interrupt because the stratagem specifically spells out that you can only do it after a unit that charged has fought, which would also mean in like our theoretical situation where nobody charged, but there's two units that have that rule. You could not interrupt them because nobody charged. I'm with you, Dennis. I think that's not technically in the spirit of the rule. Uh, only your TO will know for sure. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I, Check with your TO before you think if you want to. Yeah. You're, I mean, if you're on the other side of that, on the, if you're on the other side of the table from that, uh, it's not going to feel good. And it's probably something, like I said, that needs to be addressed. Uh, I, I completely agree. This is, it, this seems like it should be a clear cut case and it's obviously not. So, uh, <laughs> it's, and hey, what you asked, I can't seem to figure out which FAQ it's in. I don't think it's in any of them. I haven't found anything yet that addresses this particular issue. The closest thing is the UF units can fight twice, but again, that doesn't address the, well, what if you didn't pick someone that charged? So, um, Talon, yeah, I'm going to say technically as written, yeah, you could choose a fight first unit and then a charging unit and your opponent could only interrupt after the charging unit. I hate to say it and it completely goes against the way I feel the rules should be, but uh, 
strict wor- rule of or strict wording of the cards and the rules. Yeah, that's where it is. All right, next up from Andrew Goose Keeling. Andrew writes, "How good are abominants from Gene Steeler cults in support of Tyranids?" Okay, D- Richard, you're our expert. <laughs> yeah, the the abominant is he's a pretty little pimp guy. He I mean he's kind of like a little little carnifex, but and he, he's got tons of stuff going for him. He's got the five up, feel no pain. He takes reduced damage. He regenerates D3 wounds at the start of each of your turns. Uh, five aberrants is 85, and an abominant is 80. And you absolutely will want to take aberrants with the abominant. Right, because he buffs he uh, he buffs them up. Yeah, it makes their uh, sixes to hit do two hits instead of one. So, yep. uh, which is, I mean, really solid. And, uh, you know, they also got a bit of an upgrade in that their power picks got better because uh, they can actually power pick and still use a Rending Claw attack. Um, right. Yeah, they, they, like, there really wasn't a huge difference originally between the power pick and the, like, the power hammer. And, and now there's more of a distinction between those two. So they do actually serve a, a bit of a different purpose. Yeah. I mean, the the power hammer is great just for sheer brutality, although you're giving up a little bit of accuracy. Mm -hmm. Whereas I I think the power pick actually ends up being the uh, the superior choice just because of the the extra attack. And you're not losing you're losing. Well, actually, I take the back. The power hammer does double your strength. So depending on what you're hunting after. Right. It depends on on what you're swinging at. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, uh, the abominate himself, he's pretty pimp. I, I like him a lot. Now, as far as what other like things in, in nids that you'd use to, uh, like support him with, I mean, he it's just kind of flavor to taste honestly i think aside yeah. from obviously wanting to take more aberrants with him yeah um really like i I'd, I'd see him and again we don't have you don't get turn 1 cult ambush anymore and until we see what the i think some of that's going to depend on what the gene stealer cult codex adds or changes on that rule right and what stratagems get unlocked for them but uh you know Basically, right now, I I think he just becomes kind of like a just a little suicide beat stick. You know, him and his squad will pop up somewhere via cult ambush. You hope for a good cult ambush roll, and yeah. just send them after something you want to put the hurt on. It wouldn't be a, yep. you know it, it's not a lot of point. I mean, you could put him in a gene stealer cult uh, uh, patrol detachment. Well, you'd have to have a troops also, which would be what? Uh, do they have pure strain gene stealers? Are those troops for them, or are they? No, they're elites. They're elites. Okay, so you'd have to have like. Well, I guess you could do a you could do a vanguard. Yeah, because they're so yeah. like it like three, it'd get expensive pretty fast, but but at the same time you could put you could fill out the other two with genes pure strain gene stealers, which are never a bad choice. Yeah. 
No, I, I think it would I think it would work fine in, in support of NIDs. Just you have to figure out like this is basically going to take care of a lot of your, your melee component because that's all it is. Uh, so figure out what you want the rest of the NIDs army to do and then just kind of carve a spot out for it for this guy and his friends. Right. All right, next up from Dallas Sosby. Dallas writes, big fan of the show. I'd be interested in what you think of this list for the upcoming ITC season. I would like to take a variation of this list, but I'm open to any guard or Death Watch models. Thanks for the great content. Well, thank you, Dallas. Uh, so here's Dallas's list. It's a guard and Death Watch list. Uh, so basically, it's like anything we can change, it just has to stay inside guard and Death Watch. Uh, he's got, uh, it's a Cadian detachment, Cadian uh, brigade. So he's going to have lots of CP to play with. Cadian Brigade with three company commanders, one of which has a power sword. Uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, ten-man infantry squads, all with just straight-up guardsmen and sergeants. No heavy weapons teams, no special weapons, just straight-up infantry squads. Uh, for elites, an astropath, a commissar with a power sword and a bolt gun, a Ministorm priest, a platoon commander, uh, a unit of veterans with one plasma gun, uh, eight las guns and the sergeant with chainsword las pistol, three scout sentinels with auto can or two sorry two scout sentinels with auto cannons, two scout sentinels with multi lasers, three three man or three three base heavy weapons teams with mortars, and then a let's see a astra militarum spearhead detachment with cadians which is has a premier psyker. Two units of two basilisks each and a Lehman Rest battle tank. And then a patrol detachment of Death Watch, which has uh, a Watchmaster. And then two units of veterans with just chainsword. Let's see. One of them is like all chainsword and storm bolters, except for one guy with a power ball and a storm shield. And then one Terminator with power fist and storm bolter. And then the other one is pretty much the same thing, except with two power malls and storm shields, and then one, the watch sergeant with a combi plasma and a xenophase blade. And this comes in at exactly 2,000 points. Um, oh, and the Lehman Rest battle tank has the battle cannon, the front mounted LAS cannon, and plasma cannon uh, sponsons. So, I'm, I mean, obviously, you've got a ton of command points. Uh, you're. Don't specify which uh, warlord trait. I noticed there's no Kurov's Aquila, so but again, that's not really a big, uh, that big a thing anymore. Um, I mean, again, none of us are guard players, so we're kind of fumbling around the best we can. Although we do have a couple of Death Watch players in the group. Yeah, the the thing that struck me about the Death Watch part is it didn't use any of the Death Watch special weapons, and that's kind of where Death Watch shines. But at the same time, I can maybe understand if Death Watch, it sounds like this is the melee heavy part. So this is going to be the part guarding the lines or the part getting into the enemy lines. So because that is, I guess, one weakness of guard. So that that's my interpretation there. And I and the Death Watch heavy weapons are kind of pricey point wise. Mm -hmm. So you'd have to peel back guard stuff to even think about including them. And I don't know if... You'd want to, because it would be, might be nice to have one melee Death Watch unit and one shooty Death Watch unit with like the frag cannons, right? But like I said, the frag cannons are expensive. Well, so it kind of strikes me the way I'm looking at this that the the Death Watch is almost 
kind of used similarly to like what uh, Scions and Tempestus are going to be used, where it's like you drop them in and kind of do quick strikes with them. Um, because you've got the guard stuff holding the line, you've got your battle tanks and, you know, your, your sentinels and, and all of that, and your basilisks kind of holding, you know, creating a fire base. And then this is the thing that I, you know, that you can, uh, potentially like deep strike in or, you know, drop in and, 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 uh, impact like behind the lines objectives and things like that. I kind of agree with you though. I don't, if you're just going to be using them for chain sword and bolters, and granted, you know, storm bolters are nice, but if you're going to be using them for chain sword, chain sword and bolters, like I don't know that Death Watch is the best way to go with that. I mean, the the power malls and shields are nice. That can yeah. really put a hurt on something big. Well, and you kind of tank with that up front. Yes. Uh, where I, I I like the storm bolters though because that really ma- maximizes the use of uh, special if- issue ammo. It does. Yeah. Like you're, yeah. if you're, and I'm assuming he doesn't specify how this is played, but I'm assuming that the Watchmaster and both units of veterans are being put up in the teleportarium because that's three CP and you have a ton of it. Right. Yeah. No. That that's that's what I was assuming is that you're you're using you're you're deep striking in these veterans similarly to like how Tempestus get used in a lot of guard armies where like they're that turn two turn three like deep strike in behind the lines and and kind of impact things. I would, I would maybe look at it or look at maybe shrinking some of the squads and adding in either, either the extra like frag cannon, like death watch special weapons or potentially like trying to, to change it up and, and go with a variety of weapons. So like, for example, and, and I don't know if the points match on this at all right now, but Rather than having a ten man squad of like a Terminator with the power fist, two power mauls, and a bunch of chain sword storm bolters, it might be better to have a five man squad with all power mauls, you know, and and use them in the same regard. But then like you actually have like the ability to go in and take out like a big target or take out a tank or something like that. So I don't know. I would I would probably consider shrinking one or both squads and playing around with it a little bit. And like I said, I do like the idea that you have one that you can drop in with the storm bolters and just lay fire. And you've got your special ammunition, which is really good, but maybe the other squad, I would consider reallocating some points out. Cause like, even if it's just something like adding in a few extra power malls, like you could drop one veteran and that's 22 points. And that would be enough to add in power mall and storm shield on like everybody in the squad or, you 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 take the uh, you know or you take those points and you give everyone a power mall and a storm bolter. Uh, that way you have the option to go in and, and kind of hunt bigger targets. Yeah, and because uh, I'm kind of looking at this and trying to figure out like what would a better use of these be. Also, I think his points are a little off because storm bolters on non vehicles cost four, but a well, no, I guess it's 18, because I guess uh, Death Watch veterans got cheaper in uh, Chapter yes, Approved, didn't they? Okay. they did. That, yeah. That's where the... So they're 14 now. Okay, so that that's where their points make sense. Um, I'm... Because I was wondering, like, would this nest, would this be better with doing Intercessors instead of one of these veteran squads? Like, for a shooty unit? You might, you might give up number of shots, but uh, you'd well, have twice as many wounds, too. Yeah, potentially, because... So you wouldn't be able to add in the chain swords. Like 
That's the, yeah, yeah, you that's can. the one thing that's nice. Is that well, not on everybody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the one thing that's nice about the veteran squad as is, is if you're going to be using like the chainsword storm bolter squad, you could obliterate an infantry squad with that between the fact that you've got, you know, boatloads of shots you're able to use, uh, especially I mean, is ammunition to potentially, you know, wound on twos are, uh, you know, or, you know, go through and, and cut through a lot of infantry. And then everybody with the chain sword would have uh, three attacks, I think, because I think veterans have two attacks base plus a yeah. third with the chain sword. Mm-hmm. So you could potentially just rip through small units of infantry or, you know, light infantry with this. My problem with that is that's what the other like 1500 points of the army is also really good at ripping through. Um, so it's like, that's what your infantry squads are really good at doing. That's what your, you know, your basilisk and your sentinel squads are really good at, at, at doing as well. If you're going to use that as a kind of like the scions and be like, okay, we're going to drop these guys in and take out a specific target. I would probably want to have something that's a little bit better at taking out specialty targets or something that you don't have like a really other that you don't have a lot of other good solutions for because everything in this army is really good at killing large blocks of infantry. And I don't know that two extra units you can drop in and surgically take out large blocks of infantry. I don't know what benefit those specifically add to the, to the list. Um, And I don't know if you'd be getting more out of that, of being able to say, take a, uh, you know, take that, you know, take the veteran squad and, maybe use intercessors, but again, that kind of the same thing, but like adding in more of the, the death watch special weapons, like the frag cannons or more power malls or more power, power swords to be like, we're going to use this to drop in and take out a unit of elite infantry, or this is going to be the character assassinating unit. Or this is going to be the one that helps punch through like the, uh, you know, if someone sets up with like a, a, a hell blaster brick or something like that, this would be a unit that can go in and take out power armor take things like that. Also, I'm I'm looking at this and he's got one more troop squad than he needs for a brigade and I'm wondering if like if he dropped one of those infantry squads uh, cuz he's got like I said he's got 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 right now. Now, what granted, one of those is only 40 points, but 40 points is two uh like infernus heavy bolters or mm-hmm. uh possibly I think frag cannons. Yeah, infernus heavy bolters are also nice because that's like I believe that has the flamer option in case you yes. get charged. Or if you need something for a big target, I know we had, didn't mention it yet, would be the heavy thunder hammer. I mean, yeah. you have no gun, no defense, but that's what the guys with storm shields and the other guys with guns are for. And they just have one of those guys in case you do need to put a heavy hit on like a knight or a vehicle. Although you should be able to blow up knights and vehicles with the rest of your artillery. Yeah, the, uh, the heavy thunder hammer's thirty points. <laughs> oh yeah, that that would be yeah. the only thing you could add if yeah. that point. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, you potentially drop one of the infantry squads and add in like a heavy thunder hammer to to one of the veterans, you know, and and shift a few things around. I just I just look at that and I I think that I would probably prefer to have that unit have a little uh, heavier weaponry just to be able to take out take out harder targets that you may not be able to get to with your other stuff. And my personal opinion would be pick one of the, find the points by dropping some things, pick one of the two death watch squads and add in two of the frag cannons. Cause yeah. those things are great at close range. And if that's what you're trying to get this 
group to be, and you've got can have storm shields or stuff protect them until they get there. But those frag cannons put out so many shots and can do so much damage. Yeah, I, I'm thinking that. Yeah, drop one infantry squad, and then if you re- replace two of the storm bolters with frag cannons, you'd really only have to couple come up. That's forty eight. You've, you've freed up 48 points. You'd need two more points to afford the two frag cannons. <laughs> two points. Two points, right. yeah. You'd find two oh points my. somewhere, yeah. Which, and then you could even, like, maybe drop one veteran from that squad to kind of make up the points and put in another weapon somewhere. Or, like, the watch sergeant in that squad, does he need the xenophase blade? I mean, there's there's things you could drop from this. Though Those are handy. I mean, it's more of a what-if scenario, but right, they're handy. Yeah. But yeah, it's like that that seems like it's more your hard target squad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Whereas the other one, I mean, dropping I, I think there's value in having one squad that you just drop down to just unload firepower and something. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And, and so I think you leave that, that second veteran squad alone. I think it's fine. And I think having the one storm shield up front to kind of tank for it is useful. I I like that as well. I mean, what I would probably do in that in that case, if you're just going to use that as the kind of infantry squad, I don't know that I put the power mall on that. Like that, that's another place that you'd save some points because I think you can do because I think you can do storm shield and and storm bolter, but maybe not. Let me Perhaps let me look at that. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to look that one up too. Because I as soon as I said that, I'm like, I do also remember that the order of operations on how you can switch out equipment, equipment is very specific. So uh, any veteran may replace his bolt gun with two items in the death which. Death Watch equipment list. Uh, you'd give up the bolter, and so it could be a pistol in a storm shield, or a. But yeah, you can't do a like a bolter in a storm shield. Okay. Or it's, or no wait. Oh, it says up to two items can be chosen from the following list. One weapon can be chosen from the following. Ah, uh, you might be able to do storm shield and storm bolter. Yeah. And it'd be the same cost as the power mall. Yeah, and so that way, I mean, you're giving up like the ability to do like. A little bit of you know of extra potential melee damage, but that goes you're more towards a shield of like yeah you're making a sh- yeah you're making a shooting unit there so yeah and you already have a terminator with a power fist and storm bolt mm-hmm. you've got a terminator there who can tank for you as well but yeah the set that yeah that first veteran squad yeah I would definitely try to get a and up to f- you could I mean if you could find the points you could have up to four frag cannons there you just need to free up <laughs> I would just get super expensive that it does. does it is super good but I think but I think dying. two I think two is definitely two is the magic condition number yeah I do that looking at the guard stuff I mean the three units of mortars they're nice because they're nice for the brigade because they're cheap heavy support choices that's really why mm-hmm. they're there they're yeah. cheap and they're not too ineffective. Again, you've got one more fast attack than you need. I you could also, you know, free up one of those scout like remove one of the scout sentinels and honestly I'd probably change out the multi laser for one more autocannon. Yeah. But that that's really only if you need to really peel off the points. But yeah, like other than that, I don't really see anything that like I think everything else fits together, like the Astropath and the you know, having the commissar and the platoon commander, like those all make sense. I like having the the scout scout sentinels in there, so you have some maneuverability. Basilisks and basilisks are always good. Ba- yeah, I, I actually with the basilisks, I know he's got a Primaris psyker there. I almost think you could move the Primaris psyker up to the brigade, and then see if you can find the points for a uh, the, um, master of ordnance. Yeah, I well, the yeah. master of ordnance is an elite, or, but he's uh, a relative. Okay. Well, so. 
Master of Ordnance. He's 30 points. Uh, one of these Scout Sentinels is 35. I think that's a fair trade. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because park him next to the Basilisks. Mm-hmm. I mean, the o- the other thing you could do, I know it's probably Cadian for fluff reasons, but that heavy support choice, uh, running that as Catachan would also not be bad, because they're the ones that anytime you roll for uh, the number of hits, you get to re-roll one of the dice. Yes, that's super good, especially with the, yeah, with but with all three of those, the Basilisk and the, the Lehman Ross. Um, yeah, that's I think that's probably worthwhile to, to, to switch that up and have that run as uh, Catachan. I mean, otherwise you're gonna ha- you-, you cover a lot of bases though. I mean, you have a ton of command points. You have some heavy hitters. You've got some units that you know plenty of shots. Oh yeah, you got. But you yeah you have the heavy hitters because you need those to be able to deal with you know with other vehicles and and hard targets. So mm-hmm. and and I like the I like the use of Death Watch. Like assuming that assuming that we're thinking of the, the how you're going to use it the correct you know the uh, the same way using those veterans to like deep strike in and, you know, kind of mess with things downfield is a really interesting idea to kind of pair those two together. Um, I think you just switch that one of the veteran squads so that they're a little more of a hard target unit. And I think it's, I think this is very solid now. Okay. So looking at master ordinance, he's running them as Cadian, which on one hand, Cadian says, if the unit does not move, then you reroll hit rolls of one. Which is mm-hmm. what the Master of the Ordnance does, is he allows okay. Basilisks and Wyverns and Manticores and Deathstrikes to reroll hit rolls of one. But if you ran them as Catachin, you'd get the best of both worlds. Yeah. So that, that would be my thinking there. But I can – so that one's, like, less important. If you want to keep them as Cadians, then I wouldn't necessarily try to free up the points. But, you like, if you wanted to play a little bit – a little bit fast, you know, or if you wanted to play with a little bit more oomph, I think you could go for that. Now, granted, that is only when you're hitting targets that are more than three feet away uh, that, you know, it might be that the Cadian one is better for you. Yeah. I mean, I would say that with Basilisk, if something's within 30 feet of you, you're probably already messed up. <laughs> like For the most part, I think you're going to try to set it as far away as possible. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I don't think it would be incorrect to, to leave them as Cadian, but just another option to be able to switch him and, and get, as you said, kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah. And I would, I would gladly make that trade if I was playing guard of trading a scout sentinel for a master of ordinance. Also fun fact that Lehman rest battle tank in the spearhead detachment has obsec. <laughs> Cause the, uh, the, de- their defenders of humanity rule, which is basically all their troops gain, you know, object- effectively objective secured also covers Lehman rest tanks in spearhead detachments. <laughs> nice. So, so no, no, I like I really like this army a lot. Again, I'm, I'm you know, I'm kind of like we don't have as much to say about the guard part of it, but also the guard part of it isn't terribly complex. Um something else is like if you could free up the points having can they fit another plasma gun into that veteran squad? Cuz I'm just like how can we maximize these units and make them just a little bit more effective? Uh let's see. Up to three other veterans may replace their LAS gun with an item from the special weapons list, which uh, their plasma guns are 11 points. Um, honestly, maybe that's that might be worth you know cutting out one of the scout sentinels just to, to have two more guys with plasma guns in that squad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, extra but, plasma guns are always good. Yeah, so um, that that's but again, 
not a must have, just a, a possibility, just you know, somewhere to you know, if you want to shuffle around points and play with it. But yeah, it's the Death Watch part that I just look at and like this. Yeah, I'm with you guys. This needs to be a little. There needs to be more in this, and I think yeah, making one of these just a dedicated yeah, I'll just shoot infantry, and the other one being like let's go after the the big thing is the way to go. All right, next up is from Bill Brooks. Bill writes, Hello, Preferred Enemies. I love your show. This is my second time writing in. I love the listener mail section. It has answered a number of questions I didn't even know I had. Well, thank you, Bill. And more often than not, we find it answers. It does the same thing for us, that we discover things that we didn't necessarily know about, like the whole thing we just talked about with the interrupt stratagem and units that Mm -hmm. didn't charge. Uh, so anyway, he continues. Anyways, I coaxed my friend into 40k about a year ago. He picked nids for his army. I have helped him pick out units to buy, and I volunteered to paint his whole army after he got overwhelmed. You are a gentleman and a scholar, sir. If you're offering to paint an entire uh, nids army. Anyway. Uh, I have a challenge for the preferred enemy's team. I play Death Guard and also have Renegade Knights. I have over 2,000 points of Death Guard. He has about 1,390 points worth of Nids. We don't play very often. He brings his whole collection, so I build lists from my collection to play against his. My challenge for the preferred enemy's team is to build me a list from my collection to play a balanced game against his, as some games we play are lopsided one way or the other, and we don't get to play a lot. I play a lot. I want the games to be interesting and close. Our missions are primarily only war from the BRB rolling on the table for primary objective, then using our data cards to draw three tactical objectives a turn matched play. He owns a Broodlord, a Flyrant with all the options magnetized, 14 Gene Stealers, 12 Termagants with the Devourers, 10 Termagants with Flesh Borers, 12 Hormigants, a Lictor or Death Leaper as needed, uh, Trigon Prime with the Toxin Spike, uh, Biovore, two Carnifexes with all the options magnetized, including one Old Eye and a Carapace option for Sporsis for both, 8 Spore Mines, 10 Gargoyles. Uh, my Death Guard collection, two Malignant Plague Casters, and one could be a Sorcerer with a Plasma Pistol, uh, Lord of Contagion, Typhus, Demon Prince with Talons and Wings, 21 Plague Marines, including three champions, all with Power Fist and Plague Swords, one with a Plasma Pistol, one a Plasma Gun, and one a Bolter. Six Special Weapons Marines with three Blight Launchers and three Plasma Guns and one Flail. The rest have Bolters. 30 Poxwalkers, a Noxious Blightbringer, a Foul Blight Spawn, uh, three Death Shroud Terminators, seven Blight Lord Terminators, all Special Weapons Magnetized. Champion has either a Combi Melt or a Combi Plasma. One has a Flail. Uh, two Hellbrutes, one with a Fist and Melta, one with Hammer and uh, Twin Last Cannon. Three Fetid Bloat Drones, all with uh, Plague Spitters. Plague Burst Carler, all the weapons magnetized. Also, one Renegade Knight, all options magnetized, two of each. And two Renegade Helverins, Stubber and Melta, for, Stubber or Melta for either. Uh, thanks in advance, my buddy plays his whole list and I have to pick from mine. I have a tough time making something that is easy, evenly matched, so we'll have a close game, so any help would be greatly appreciated. P.S. We only play each other, as there are no other players around us, and so I want our games to be close so he doesn't get discouraged with it. Also, any thought on what he should get next for his army, as we are trying to get to 2,000 points for him eventually. Thanks again, Siege Master Bill from Layden, Massachusetts. Okay, so we've got a 1390 collection of um, of nids. That's that's what we're playing against, and we have a Death Guard collection to build from. So this should be fun. So one thing I'll say just before we kind of get started and start building this. The other option that maybe sounds like it might work for you is maybe try playing power level as well. Um, if you try paying, playing power level, you don't have to get quite as fiddly with the, uh, the upgrades on all the models. Um, and you might be able to more easily build 
build a list and being like, okay, I got a match to 1390 or you know, 1400, at least right now, like using PL as a guide might make some more interesting uh, matchups and list creation uh, for both guys. Yeah. And uh, while we're working on our lists, uh, Richard, you want to kind of focus on what he'd want to add to his NIDs to kind of fill them out to 2000? Yeah. Yeah, I'll take a look at that. All right. So, well, for the first things first, if you want to make this an interesting game, uh, let's not run the Knights at all. Yeah. Because, yeah. uh, <laughs> honestly, he doesn't have anything there that's going to be able to effectively deal with... Because uh, if he's running a Renegade Knight with all the options, it's probably... I mean, it's probably going to be like a Daka Knight with dual uh, Avenger Gatling Cannons, and that'll tear apart pretty much anything there. So um, let's let's leave the knights at home. Don't need them. Plus, they're not technically uh, death guard. All right. So we're. I'm going to build this. T- uh, I say we build it to 1400. That's the closest round number, and that 10 points is not going to make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. I'm curious how many command points they're running. Although death guard is an army that isn't that heavy on it, so I, I think a, a battalion will be just fine. Okay. So. You want these games to be interesting, but you also want to be cool. I always love Typhus with Poxwalkers. It's one of those things that's not amazingly effective, but it's fun. Right. And Poxwalkers max out at 20, so... All right, and then we'll need a second HQ. What are we thinking? The Lord of Contagion is basically Typhus Light. I don't think we need him. Um, could go for Plague Caster. Could go for the yeah. Demon Prince. The Demon- I like... I like the playcaster because I think it's a very kind of fluffy choice. And I, I think it kind of depends on like what you want to do as far as uh, point wise and stuff. Like if you're trying to go, you know, and maybe so maybe it's something we come back to. You've got kind of a more expensive option with the demon prince and a cheaper option uh, with the the playcaster. Um, I like the playcaster from a fluff perspective, but having the demon prince with wings going up against like the flyer is uh could be could be fun too. So, I'll toss in on the same thing that, that Kev was saying at the end of that is the narrative of the Demon Prince fighting against the big Tyranids is monstrous creature versus monstrous creature, and I find that more interest would probably play more interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so we'll go with that uh, Prince with dual talons and wings. Okay, so we've got a Demon Prince, Typhus, twenty Poxwalkers, so we need two more troops. He's got. 21 Plague Marines, so we can easily build a couple of squads from that. Two squads of those. Um, I think we do one champ with a plasma gun, one champ with a bolter. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And we'll figure out special weapons once we kind of see what kind of points we have to play with after we get the basics in. Um, let's see. Elites. The Foul Blight Spawn is really good. Uh, I, li- I like him. I don't know if I'd want to necessarily run the Terminators. I think they might be a little bit overkill, but yeah. Well, and and you're going to be running Typhus screened with Poxwalkers, so you don't necessarily need the Death Shrouds. Might use the Blight Lords, maybe a small unit of them. We'll see. Um, I, you definitely want the Plague Burst Crawler. That is a a very quintessential Death Guard thing. So, and I'm honestly good. I don't think you have anything you need the Entropy Cannons for. Plague Spitters are just fine. Uh, I, I'd say just run it stock with the Heavy Slugger. The fetid bloat drones are almost too nasty for this list, <laughs> especially three of them. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'd run three of them. Might run, and three of them get expensive. They're 124 points each. So uh, the prince, typhus, 
20 pox walkers and two five man no special weapons except for what's on the champs plague marines and the crawler we're already at 795 of our 1400 points so we're already halfway done so really it comes down to what elites and fast attacks do we want do we want to throw in so <sighs> helpers are interesting because i they're good, but I don't like them in this army because they don't have, as we've talked about before, they don't get any of the benefits of being Death Guard. Right. Um, so from kind of a fluff perspective, like as well as kind of just building a better list, I'd almost rather go with the bloat drones. But I, I definitely don't think I would go with I don't I wouldn't put wouldn't put more than two in. Because that's because that gives you also gives you mobility. And if you're facing uh facing down some Tyranids, like there are uh you know, there's going to be a couple blocks of infantry and stuff that you can kind of target with the uh, with the plague spitters. So, yeah, yeah I think two. Yeah. yeah, I think two. So I think putting all three, like you said, is is probably too much. <laughs> well, OK, that 124 was with no weapons on the sides. So you put the plague spitters on and uh, they jumped up to 158 points apiece. So, yep. OK, so that now we're at a hunt. We're at 1111. So now we can either look at, I'm wondering if maybe we should, he's got two Carnifexes, so maybe we do put in the Blight Lords just to act as kind of a, a shield wall. Mm -hmm. So yeah. a unit of Blight Lords, because that's also going to eat up a fair number of points too. So he said the champion has either Combi Melter or Combi Plasma. I would say Melta, or no, Plasma probably. I think Plasma is generally... Yeah. Although if you're going against Carnifexes, you want as much strength and damage as you can get, so... Melta might actually be the better choice. Well, the good thing is you've got because I think he said that all of them are magnetized. You've got you've got options to take other combi weapons as well. And he says one guy has the flail, so yeah, I think you definitely want to include the flail because the flail is awesome. Right. So one the flail is also takes up the ranged weapon, so you just have the flail or the. Mm -hmm. So we've got one guy with the flail. I I kind of like the bubotic axes though for them. Mm -hmm. So we'll keep those on there. Let's see, and all special weapons. So uh, that's either Blight Launcher, Plague Spewer, or Reaper Auto Cannon. Auto Cannon on one of them? Yeah, it's yeah, that's probably good to put a, put an Auto Cannon in there. Okay, so got one guy with the Auto Cannon, one guy with a Flail, two Combi Bolters, and a Combi Melta. For that's two hundred twenty nine points. We are at thirteen forty. We have sixty points left to spend. All right, so let's go back to the Plague Marine squads. Yep, I tend to do like once, like two. Two of a special weapon in one squad, two of another special weapon in another squad. That's just so I kind of have a little bit of focus. Mm -hmm. So, well, so I, we've got a champion with a plasma gun. Right. We could put two more plasma guns in that squad. Yep. And then put the uh, blight launchers, probably the blight launchers in the other. Yeah, I think so. And fortunately, plasma guns got cheaper. So that helps. All right. So right now with Demon Prince of Nurgle with. Double Talons and Wings, Typhus, a unit of Plague Marines with a champ with a Power Fist and a Bolt Gun and two Blight Launchers and a power a unit with a Power Fist, Plasma Gun and two Plasma Guns and then two normal Plague Marines besides, 20 Pox Walkers, five Blight Lord Terminators, Combi Melta on the champ, Reaper Autocannon and a Flail in the unit, and then two Plague Spitter Fetid boat, Bloat Drones and a Plague Burst Crawler. We are at 1382, which puts that us pretty really close to 1390. That sounds, yeah, I'm almost, and there's really not much we can add that's not going to take it significantly over. So I'd kind of <laughs> want, I think we should kind of stop there. 
Because, I mean, eight points is not going to make a great, you know, eight points of parity is not going to make this um, right that different. And honestly, if it puts the edge a little bit in the Nids player, you know, since he's the newer player, that's not necessarily a bad thing either. I mean, if anything, it gives him a couple extra bodies to absorb some damage. Mm-hmm. So there you go, 76 PL, thir- 1382 points. Uh, and you've got some neat narrative things, like you've got the the flying monster versus the flying monster. You've got the the anvil to the uh, Carnifex hammer that's coming down. You've got bloat drones that to try to deal with things like the uh, hormigons or the gene stealers. You've got the plague burst crawler in back, just lobbing shots until a t- trigon pops up next to it and starts going after it. <laughs> You know, plague marines there to just try to you know deal with whatever target seems to be appropriate for what they've got. I, I think you know narratively and functionally this should be pretty good. All right, so Richard, what do you have for uh, getting this Nid collection up to two thousand points? Well, uh, so far, uh, putting in everything he's got, I actually, without going like crazy on on upgrades and such i actually ended up with more like about 12 20 points um so like there's plenty of upgrades for nid models to take so right i'm sure that 1390 is what what he can get up to with this but looking at it i actually have not quite got up to 2,000 points yet. Let me see what I want to do. Because, like, I, I'm looking at it, and I kind of want... I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do with the heavy support. Because, well, like, I like the two Carnifexes. I like the, the Trigon Prime. I would add in more Gene Stealers. Yeah. Um, like what I've got here is two units of 20. So adding in another 20, getting another 26 gene stealers, one, one lictor by himself. Eh, I, I, I'd rather see a uh, death leaper in there than, than just the one, uh, one lictor. Right. So that I've used death leaper and I'm trying to, figure out how we want to deal with the if if he uses like if he were to use the knight um would we want to go with something like a terrain effects because that rupture cannon would get some work done yeah it's just how would we split this out because he's already got three heavy support well the card effects can run as a Carnifexes can run it, as a brood. Well, he's got the Trigon Prime, the Carnifexes, and the Biovore. Ah, okay. So, like... <laughs> Biovore can one go away. <laughs> The one Biovore, either want to make that a unit of three, get more Biovores, or not run the single Biovore, I think, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, so if we take that out and add in Tranifex with... Rupture cannon. And then I would also probably look at again with like just the one unit of gargoyles. I I probably look at using more gargoyles or not running them at all. Right. Yeah, because you need like at least what, like twenty before they're really effective. Right. 
So say we do buff that unit up to say 30 gargoyles. And let's add in a third card effects. So yeah, the HQ, HQs, a Broodlord, and the Flyrant. Two units of 20 each Gene Stealers. The Hormigants, Tor and the two units of Termagants. Uh, Death Leaper, a unit of 30 Gargoyles, three Carnifexes. I I've loaded them out with Spine Banks and monster a set of Monstrous Scything Talons and Crushing Claws. And the Trigon Prime with the Toxin Spike and a Terran Effects with a Rupture Cannon. That gets me up to 1907, which gives you 100 points to either add in more Termagants. I would probably, I'd actually probably look at also, again, kind of like the with the Gargoyles, the, the Hormagants, like just 12 of them, not going to do a lot. So either drop either drop those or more. What about because the gene stealers are gene stealers are kind of doing the job that the hormigons are are there for. Right. What about dropping the hormigons and using the extra points to help that that roughly hundred points become like three zone throws? Yeah. Yep. That gets us to nineteen sixty seven. Okay, and, and then those, you can and those, yeah. And then use some points to maybe buff up, like you said, one of the Termagant squads a bit, or yeah, like the like the Devourer Gaunts. You pop those up with the with the Trigon Prime, and then unload all the Devourers, and yeah. then spend points on the Stratagem to shoot again and shoot all those Devourers again. Yep, there you go. Yep. Okay, so. So there you go, Bill. Your friend has a, a bit of a purchase list: more gargoyles, more gene stealers, some zoanthropes, another Carnifex, Tyrannifex kit. And if you are good enough to magnetize some of that stuff for him, he can have a lot of options to play with too, especially with like the yep. Carnifexes. And uh, so yeah. But until that point, we've got a roughly thirteen eighty list for you to play against him. Um, and if you need to, we can send you a copy of it from Battlescribe. In fact, I'll probably go ahead and do that. And uh, hopefully that'll help you have some uh, some good games and keep him in the hobby. All right. And then our final letter is from Dustin Caldwell. We've got one more list review. We're working through our backlog, people. Uh, so <laughs> Dustin writes, Hi, Preferred Enemies crew. I love the show. Thanks for all the great content y'all put out. I had a list I wanted to get your thoughts on based on one of the new formations GW created, uh, specifically out of... Uh, Vigilus. Uh, I played predominantly admech, and I generally prefer to run the faction by itself rather than with knights or mixed with another faction. The new formation rules in connection with the points drops from chapter approved gave me a thought on a potential list that's a bit outside the usual admech mold, which is fine for us because we don't play admech either, so it's all new to us. So, you know, we're, we're, we're good. <laughs> the list is based around the new servitor maniple formation. For one command point, tech priests, engine seers, catafrons, and servitors gain the servitor maniple keyword. More importantly, before before the battle begins, for one CP, a Servitor Maniple unit of Cataphrons can be given a 3-up Invulnerable save for the entire duration of the battle. I'd use this twice in order to give both units of Cataphrons the 3-up Invulnerable. So here's the list idea as follows. A 3-detachment Agrippina army. 
The first attachment is a battalion with a tech priest dominus at the HQs, with two tech priest dominuses at the HQs with Volkite blasters, macro stubbers, and omniscient axes. Nine points total for each. Two units of six Catafron destroyers, all with plasma culverins, uh, 27 points each, and phosphor blasters, six each. Each unit comes in at 288 points. Uh, one standard five-man unit of rangers to round out the troops, 35 points total. Then two units of Castellan robots, 65 each, all armed with three heavy phosphor blasters, 15 each, putting each unit at 330 points. This detachment comes in at a total of 1451. The second detachment is the Admech CP battery. It needs some sort of nickname, say the Cybernetic 17, featuring two <laughs> Tech Priest engine seers for 30 points and three five-man units of rangers with basic galvanic rifles, coming in at a total of 165 points. Finally, the third detachment is a Vanguard with an engine seer... Uh, for the HQ, 30 points, two units of Secutari Hoplites, nine points each for 162, uh, with 18 Arc Lances, 17 Mag Inverter Shields, and one Data Tether each, five points each, and a unit of four Servitors, 20 points total, with the basic Servo Arm loadout. This detachment comes in at a total of 384 points. Uh, before we continue, uh, the Secutari, that's a, uh, like a Forge World unit. I am not terribly familiar with that, and I don't know if it's in the indexes? Forge World has the free... PDF form. Oh, great. Well, good. Yeah. Uh, so here. Um, I just want to know what the rules are before I Yeah. Know. So, okay, okay. I see them. Secretary hoplites. Yeah. What unit is one alpha and nine secretary hoplites. Uh, three weapon skill, three ballistic skill, three strength and toughness, two attack space, three attacks on the alpha, four up armor save. They have canicles. Um, they have a five up invulnerable save. And their weapons are, they're basically strength six, AP minus one, one damage, unless they're fighting a vehicle, and then it's D3 damage. And their shooting is 12 inches, 12 inch range. And they've got, uh, and I don't think he said, let's see, 17 mag inverter shields. The mag inverter shield, uh, he has, you get a four up and vulnerable save against attacks made with melee weapons. Which better way to put that would be in the fight phase, but we know what they mean. Uh, in addition, each time you make an unmodified saving throw of six w- for a model with a mag inverter shield against an attack made with a melee weapon, the attacking unit suffers one mortal wound after it has made all of its attacks. Ooh. 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 Yeah. Okay, so continuing. Uh, I went with Agrippina for two reasons. First, it provides access to the Agrippina stratagem, which for three CP, the amount for 20 PL, which currently which corresponds to a unit of six cataphrons, allows you to bring back a unit of cataphrons at full strength. Also, its Forge World Dogma increases Overwatch to hit automatically on a five-up, regardless of modifiers, which is awesome if you're a Tau player, you know that. Uh, this provides a 16% increase in Overwatch efficiency. Wow, this is written like a Mechanicus player, which <laughs> I'm impressed by, uh, which is definitely helpful for Admech. Actually, it's not written in, like a Mechanicus player. It's not all in binary. If it's all in binary, then I'd be truly impressed. I wouldn't be able to read it, but I'd be really impressed. Yeah, I actually would be impressed if someone sent us a list in binary. Yeah, that's not a challenge. But if anybody wants to do it, you know, we'll we'll I mean, we're not going to read all the ones and zeros. We'll try to translate it, but (laughs) Uh, which is definitely helpful for Admech and the Cataphrons and Castellans, which put out a decent number of shots. The thought behind the list is to essentially divide the deployment zone in half. One side would have a unit of destroyers with a unit of robots, a tech priest dominus and an engine seer screened in the middle for buffs and healing, and a unit of hoplites in front to provide a melee charge screen for the shooting elements. The hoplites provide excellent melee and vehicle threat for their points, nine points for a unit with three up weapons, skill ballistic skill, two attacks, four up save and four, me- four up melee, five up standard invuln, 18 inch range, 
Yeah, all, all the, you know, D3 damage against mm. vehicles, all that. There's Skatari, so they get access to the Protector and Conqueror da- Doctrine Imperative, plus one shooting in the f- or fighting in the fight phase, and the Data Tether adds the additional plus one, which pretty much ensures they hit on twos, they get a morale reroll. The Rangers, the remaining engine seer, and the servitor units cut off deep striking in the backfield and other units around the front line or to hold backcourt objectives. Breaking the robots and destroyers into two units like this enables one group to utilize the new Nodspheric Mindlock Stratagem, one command point, for plus one to hit rolls with a selected maniple, catafron within six inches of the maniple, or a selected maniple catafron within six inches of the maniple, Tech Priest Dominus. The other group can utilize the Elimination Volley Stratagem 2CP that provides plus one to hit for a catafron destroyer and castle and robot unit. This should allow both sets of catafrons to supercharge their plasma without risk of op- overloading. Tech Priest Dominus also provides rerolls of ones in the event that CP gets low, which that alone will generally keep you safe for over- overloading. Uh, the army starts with 14 CP and loses three right away for the formation and the two three up invuln stratagems, giving me 11 to work with. So, because this army would be CP hungry for the moment, I'm going to go with the monitor malevolous warlord trait rather than servitor maniple trait, but that could change depending on how the army plays. One of the maniple TBDs, uh, Tech Priest Dominus's, would be the Warlord. And because the army is Admech and is likely going second, I've got 16 drops, I can save the two CP that I might otherwise use on the cover stratagem by just declaring Shroud Psalm on my round one canicle, or I could use the stratagem to guarantee that the entire army gets cover for the first two rounds of the game. For relics, depending on the, upon the opponent's army, I'd use either the Eye of Z-Lexum, Radiant of the Technomartyr, or the Autocadesius of Ark and Land. The main weakness that I see right off the bat, like most admec lists of this type, mobility is a real issue, and the list may have problems with securing objectives. Additionally, charges can potentially lock up some of the main shooting elements. The lack of a cybernetica datasmith also limits the robots to either Aegis Protocol or requires a CP for the permanent shift stratagem. I thought about adding one to the list in the Vanguard detachment by removing the servitor unit and decreasing the hoplites, but I felt they add more value to the list than the one datasmith. Like most admit gunline lists, there's almost no way to generate mortal wounds. Finally, going with Agrippina means no call, no Wrath of Mars, and no easy canical manipulation. I'd love to get your thoughts on the list. Thanks again for the great show and all you do to spread the hobby. Um, so... Yeah, I've Agrippina is one you don't see. Like I haven't seen that much. Yeah, it definitely makes good use of the Mechanicus Specialist detachment, and I mean it's kind of really made for this. They're, they lean into it hard, which is good. It's what it's meant to do. The Castellans are good. I they they're not going to benefit from this, but they're just good on their own. But I would real like let's see, a Cybernetica Data Smith costs how much? Yeah, Cybernetica Datasmith is only 22 points. Um, I would pro, I would try to find the points for him just because he does make catif, or he makes Castlins just that much better, keeps them from being kind of locked in like that. Mm hmm. And if he, and his, his Castlins are going like full out, uh, you know, full out phosphor blasters, which, I mean, is definitely one of the best ways to run them. Cause that, that's the thing is like if they're stuck in, Again, I'm having to look this stuff up because I am not a mechanics player, but I've seen, <laughs> but I've played one on TV. Uh, but yeah, they start off with with Aegis, which is nice, but being able to switch to uh, Protector Protocol with them and just which doubles the number of shots all your weapons have because suddenly all your heavy phosphor blasters become heavy six, and you're putting out 18 shots per model. Yeah, no, is <laughs> is really really good. So I would. I would be willing to give up the servitors and like one, like you give up one hoplite. That's it. 
because a hoplite is they're nine points plus. How much did you say the data smith was? Uh, well, actually, it's a, so he's twenty two. That may not include his any work. Yeah, either. he's he's got a gamma pistol and a power fist, so he's forty one. Okay, so forty one, but still, that's. That cuts your unit of secutari from 18 to 15, and if you drop the servitors, I, I think it's worth it. It may change how you play out. You may keep the Castellans closer. Like, you may not split them as much, mm-hmm. which kind of encourages you to push. Like, you'll kind of push in one direction a little bit more. Or you could, I mean, you've got the Cataphrins with Culverins to be kind of your frontline shooting. And Phosphor Blasters have a 36-inch range. You could use the Castellans to kind of hold the back line a little bit more, too, or kind of hold the mid-range. You don't necessarily have to have them right out front. Right. Because with a 36-inch range, you know, put them near the front. They're they're tough, like, in the middle. Yeah, two units of three Castellan robots. I kind of like the idea of those units kind of gathered around with, like, the, the Cybernetica Datasmith between them and allowing them to change modes as needed yeah uh, rather than it, i mean yes you have to give up points otherwise to do it but um it's totally worth it uh i like the idea of the cybernetic 17 for the CP right. battery <laughs> let's see mm-hmm. the uh the yeah but those two units of cataphrine destroyers with three up and vulnerables for the whole battle and being able to just bring them back at full health like bring back the unit at full is is crazy. I mean, it's crazily good because again, just read that uh, stratagem real quick. So we've got the f- yeah, Agrippina. At, use the stratagem at the end of your movement phase. Pick one of your units of Agrippina servitors, Cataphrine destroyers, or Cataphrine breachers as follows. If you spend three CPs, power rating twenty or less, remove your chosen unit from the battlefield. You can set it up again as you would a ar- unit arriving for as reinforcements. Set up the unit in your so yeah. Once it gets down to like one destroyer left. You just you pay three CP, boom, you've got it back at full health. So, and that also allows you to kind of hold those. Like, if you need to pop one over to a uh, a backfield objective, you've got that too. I, obviously, none of this. I, I like the list. I like the concept. It's strongly, you know, it's it's like leaning heavily into the specialist detachment. It's got a lot going on technically. Um, like I said, I, I would I would find the points to put in a uh, data smith. Uh, as far as you know, maneuverability. I mean, short of cutting out a big chunk of this army to put in a knight or something, which he specifically says he doesn't want to do. There's not right. much you can do about that. That's just that is a weakness of the army, unless you want to p- try to fit in like iron striders or something. The iron strider dragoons or the balistari, they're pretty fast and they're actually pretty good units. They don't synergize with the rest of this at all but they would give you you know the mobility that this list lacks yeah but i mean it's a gunline list you kind of know that going it's, into yeah it's it. not going to have a lot of lot of uh, mobility <laughs> like but yeah the uh the iron strider balistari are 40 points each before war gear now which uh which is 10 points cheaper than they were in the codex the dragoons are still 59 points a piece though so i mean it's not an insignificant change to the list to put them in so uh but the thing is like this list is kind of the way it's built um short of like i, don't, I wouldn't want to drop the hoplites because i can see where they're really good as having a melee screen you obviously don't want to drop the cataphrins because they're like the key 
port part of the list. And I don't want to. I mean, the the ex- most expensive units are the uh, probably the Castellans, which is that's the other reason why I think the cybernetic uh, the cybernetic of the data smith is so important because with them being such a big chunk of the list, you want the most efficiency out of them as you can. So you kind of need yeah. him there. Uh, I mean, otherwise, you know, they're the two of them, like they're each 1330 points. That's 660 points. Plus, would you say another 41 for the data Smith? Yeah. For that 700, I mean, 700 points, you could put in a knight and some, uh, iron striders and have still a decent amount of firepower and have a lot of maneuverability. It's just, you're already at three detachments. So fitting in a knight's going to be tricky. Yeah. Although you could probably fold that third detachment, the vanguard, up into the uh, up into the, the the battalion or into the secondary detachment, and probably uh, you yeah. could you could actually yeah. you could move them into the into the battalion because you've got space for another HQ. Um, the secutari are elites, and I don't think you've run out of space for elites because mm-hmm. the castlins are heavy support, the cataphrons are troops. So yeah, you've got room to move them up. And you're dropping the servitors, so they're a non, yeah, they're, the servitors, and actually, okay, and it's two units of secutaries each. You could easily yeah. peel off a, some models off of those to make up points and still have like, like you could drop three models from each and have 60 points to, or, you know, have, have, well, not yeah. have 60 points, but, you know, have a lot more points to play with. And still, you're still fielding 30 of them. I think you're fine. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I would, I would move that, yeah. Maybe, yeah, maybe look at moving them up into the main battalion. And I know you don't want to, but, uh, then for your fast attack, putting in some, uh, iron striders and then put in a knight, a mechanicus knight of some sort. Um, you're giving up one command point to do that. So I think that's fine, but that, that's, that's the only way you're going to, you're going to get mobility, but it does require you to drop the castellans, but the castellans don't don't benefit other than the Agrippina dogma, which is the uh, overwatching on five ups, which is really good with them. Cause again, they're, they have the ability to put out a, a bunch of shots. And if those shots are hitting on fives instead of sixes, that's fantastic. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I don't think you necessarily, you're, you're stuck being a static gun line unless you decide to make some cuts for mobility. And the biggest things would be to, Without hurting the theme would be to cut the Castellans and replace them with a knight and uh, some iron striders. But uh, it just depends on if that's a decision you really want to make. And if you don't, then you kind of go with this and just do the slow movement forward. Yeah. I think, I think that's pretty much it. See, Castellans move forward eight. So if they're at starting in the middle, f- actually, the Castellans are only two inches slower than the than Dragoons. <laughs> so you're really actually not losing that much and their weapons are are still like the iron the the like the iron star balustrade they're still heavy weapons so i mean it's still the same penalty if you move and fire maybe you don't even need to i mean this the hard part then is you'll be advancing the cybernetica data smith up just to keep him within range but he's not going to do much with his gun anyway so that's a right point. yeah that's not what he's there for the cataphrons with uh the destroyers they're moving six like most things you, you got what you got. I mean, the, actually, at that point, they become the thing that pushes. The, the ca- Castellans become the thing that push forward the most. They, and like You put them in the middle, kind of thrust forward with them, and then have the rest kind of crawl up as it can. 
But that's just a Mechanicus problem. They don't have maneuverability. They don't have transports. They don't have flyers. Uh, you're you're looking at other other armies to provide that. So, but otherwise, I really like the list idea. But definitely, try, if you're using the Castellans, definitely get the Data Smith in there just to get the most out of them. Yeah, absolutely. And if you have a list you would like us to review, or a letter you would like us to read, or even a not so positive uh, iTunes review you'd like us to. <laughs> to kind of respond to uh there's a number of ways other than itunes we don't check that one all that often but there's three good ways to get a message to us uh first off is our email addresses which is our first name at preferred enemies so rob at kevin at dennis at richard at preferred enemies.com um we also have a facebook page that is facebook.com slash preferred enemies and uh we post uh news things we're working on events that are coming up in fact there is an event coming up we are not running it but in the kansas city area i did want to mention that the uh new year's knockout is coming out uh it's being run at the geekery which i believe is in mission kansas uh it is a 2500 point tournament they're kind of going Old school art boys on this one, which is going to be interesting to see. Um, uh, chess clocks for everything. I mean, they're going like hardcore, big army competitive event on this one. Uh, uh, we'll post a link to the show notes to that. Uh, but anyway, uh, facebook.com slash preferred enemies. Like us there, follow us, and uh, you can send us messages there. Uh, the third way is we also have a Twitter account. Our Twitter account is at preferred enemy singular. Uh, and we post, uh, like when we're getting ready to release a new episode, we'll post a call out for any questions there if you want to get us something. And so we take questions from email, Facebook, Twitter. We compile all that together and we, uh, put a list together that we read on the air. Uh, we also have a Patreon if you want to help support the show. Uh, we, uh, basically it's patreon.com slash preferred enemies and that helps us buy New recording equipment helps us travel to events. In fact, uh, if Kevin sounds a bit clearer than he has in past episodes, that's because we were able to buy Kevin a new microphone, uh, both for use at home when he's Skyping in with us, as we are all Skyping in today. He's also taking it with <laughs> him to uh, Las Vegas Open so he can record from the, uh, from the event there. So uh, your contributions made that possible. So we want to thank you very much. You guys have an absolute direct event or effect on the show. And in addition, uh, we just sent out uh, in the last week or so our preferred enemies dice to the Patreon, the patrons that uh, decided to uh, order some. Those should be arriving now. I've actually gotten messages from a couple of uh, U.S. listeners who have received theirs. If you are listeners in Europe or Australia who ordered them, it'll probably take a bit longer. But trust me, they are on their way. I filled out the customs forms myself on those. So they're, they are on their way over overseas. Uh, so, yeah, just let us know when they arrive. Uh, we'll probably be opening up another set of orders to our general listenership soon on those. Uh, we will probably have to increase the amount of shipping we charge. We didn't charge our patron shipping because this is kind of a special thing for patrons. But when we do dice, we will actually charge shipping because it is not cheap to to ship. <laughs> Even just two bricks of dice overseas is like fourteen bucks. So, so it's uh, uh but local like. Within the U.S., the shipping's like three, three or four bucks. It's not a big deal. So, but we'll uh, we'll put that together uh, when we uh, decide to do our next dice order for our listeners. But uh, that's one of those things. If you're a uh, Patreon supporter, we like to open that stuff up to our patrons first. Uh, and if you can't do a whole lot, if you just want to do a buck a month, enough people do a buck a month, it all adds up. 
Uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break for sponsor identification. And when we get back, we're going to talk, we're going to dig into our main topic, which is a second look at the Imperial Knight Codex. See you in a bit. Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle and back again safely. And that's where Kara Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system. They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models. KR's trays are made of a soft foam, available in a variety of colors, that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases. They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K, X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multicase has the cases to fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com. KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check out the battle mats from GameMat. They're professionally designed rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a GameMat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof, and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you. Game Mat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, and that means it's time for our return to the Imperial Knight Codex and trying to look at some of the things we may have missed the first time because we are just pressed for time and have turned out to be really important. Um, first, just kind of over, you know, looking over, obviously, we're not, we don't want to get in the fluff or anything on this one. We're just going to dive right into rules and mechanics. You know, one thing that's been interesting is the of all the knights that are presented in this book... The there's really only like three or four you see with any regularity. You see Armager Helverins a lot just because of this sheer amount of gunpower mm-hmm. they put out, you know, firepower they put out. Um, you see Warglaze a little bit if somebody, you know, I've I've seen them, but I, I see Helverins a lot more. You see the Knight Crusader and you see the Knight Gallant because you see people either going like all in for gun or all in for melee, especially because the melee one is the cheapest. Right. And then besides that, uh, you see the Knight Castellan for the Dominus Knights, just because it is a ridiculous amount of firepower and is also great at killing other knights. But other than that, I mean, like I run a paladin and I, you know, like I run a paladin in my list just because that's one of the knights I have and I didn't, you know, it's not magnetized, but I, but I don't see that many other paladins on the table. If I'm going to see a battle, a rapid fire battle cannon, it'll be one of the arms of a crusader. Um, mm-hmm. I don't see knight errants that often. I don't see perceptors really at all. Now, granted, part of that's because the kit for them, for the kit for the perceptor didn't come out all that long ago, but still, 
you know, there's really, you know, unless somebody's really going all in on like a, uh, a an armager heavy list, you just don't see them. Um, you don't see Valiants because they're this kind of weird short range shooty knight, which is a shame because yeah. they're awesome. But compared to what, yeah, you know, and they can they have one of the strongest weapons in the game. But compared to what you can get with the uh, Knight Castellan, it's just not a contest. The Knight Castellan is just way more useful. Yeah, and you know it's it's kind of a is this a issue of yeah? You know, it's just this because it makes more sense to go all like all in one direction, like either all melee or all shooty, or is it just you know is it a points thing? Is it? No, it, I, I think it does make a difference. If you're going to have a knight sit back, you don't need that melee weapon. Get rid of it and put something else to maximize your shots. If you're going to have something be a line breaker type thing or just I'm going to get in your lines and wreck things, that extra gun is nice. But if you just go in full on, the, I'm, I'm really just going to melee it. Just you're, I, I see why people do it that way. I mean, just as we talked earlier in the Death Watch thing of specialize your units. Yeah. Or you mentioned yeah. the Death Guard thing of you, you put one set of special weapons on one, one on special weapons on the other, so they could focus. I think it's we're seeing the same thing with the Knights. Yeah, and for for the ones that are just all gun, I mean, stompy feet are still really good. They are. Right. <laughs> I mean, we, more than once in a Knight Just, we've seen a, a Knight, uh, like a Knight Crusader, kick another Knight to death. Yeah. After softening it up with gunfire. So, yeah, no... Titanic feet will still get the job done. The other thing, I do think that that's part of it. Uh, I think the other part of it as well is points like you mentioned, because the one thing that I expected to see more of and really haven't is full nightless. And you never really see a full nightless. You might see three knights and Imperial guard or space Marines and something like that, or you'll see a knight and then another army. But I don't often see uh, just a fo- just an Imperial Knights army uh, on the table. It's it's got some other support backing it up, and I think that's why some of the like uh, the Perceptor, which is kind of a support knight with the Helverins, you just don't see it because you've got uh, those points are better spent elsewhere, providing other things to help support the army. And I'll be on the weird side, Kevin. The two times I've actually played against knight armies in tournaments here recently, mm-hmm. or in the past four or five months, they were all um, – it was all knights. There was no support. Oh. Wow. Okay. That's so – I mean, surprising I'm surprised coming from with that, but I think there, there were people who were just trying out the knight codex or they just really like knights. Is like knights is my army, and, and they yeah. actually built it for – just pure knights, and they both blew me out of the water because I had nothing to deal with knights. But that's a different sure. story. Now that's that's good to hear because at least my interactions with it have always been uh, outside of that. I think I went to an event like the weekend the Codex came out, so everybody there had you know two or three knights to test them. Uh, but after that, like the list that I've seen, the list that have been making it to top tables oh, have right. been like a castle and knight for range fire support and maybe a couple of Helverins for other support and then all in with guard or space Marines or death watch or something. Oh yeah. Um, I can see that. Yeah. Cause that fills the, the kind of holes that the night army has. Mm-hmm. If you just do pure knights. Yeah and, yeah. and of course the classic is uh lucky 32 plus uh two or three 
Blood Angel Smash Captains plus, you know, knights to fill in the rest of the points. Yeah. Uh, I've played against a list that was a Castellan, a Gallant, um, a couple of, uh, couple of Warglaves, and then some, like, Mechanicus, like a very small Mechanicus detachment, and Bobby G. Hmm. Because, you know, Bobby G's a great force multiplier for everything, including knights. Yeah. And, uh, like, uh, he was using Bobby G to keep up with, like, keep next to a Castellan that was running Call's Wrath, you know, the, the charged up plasma cannon. So it was just, you know, he was overcharging freely, you know, so. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's a good way to do it. Yeah. So we'll talk a bit about the household traditions, too, and which ones we've been kind of seeing. So starting with Imperials, because this fact, you know, this book has like more of everything, even though it has fewer units than most books, but it has more of everything else. Because it's got like eight household traditions plus free blades is actually something I have not seen at all. Nobody cares yeah. about free blades. I mean, they're yeah, great I, narratively, but yeah, I, yeah, I care about them for fluff wise narrative wise. If, if I build an Eldarish knight, it would probably be a free blade, but it wouldn't get played in a tournament. It'd play in narrative stuff, right? Yeah, I, I think you don't see free blades just because there there are downsides, and there's no downsides with the households, right? Like you don't, you know. You, because the, the you know the free blade stuff's really cool and I think it is a really interesting system, but like, eh, if this happens, you don't get to move, and that's a problem in a in a five or six round game if you can't control your knight for a turn. Right. It's the same reason why uh, for a long time you know chaos dreadnought slash hellbrutes were an iffy choice because like oh there's a there's a non-zero chance that you won't be able to use this this thing at all or use it properly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, focusing on the, the household traditions, House Terran, uh, when determining the distance that this unit, that a unit with this household tradition advances or charges, roll an additional D6 and discard the lowest results. Uh, this one is very popular uh, with Gallants, obviously. Being able to just ensure that you've got the best possible charge or advance roll is very important. Um, and also, they have a fantastic stratagem, which is choose a house Terran unit that already fought. They can fight again in this fight phase. Mm-hmm. So if you need to, you know, you get your gallant didn't quite finish somebody off, they can do it again. Or if they're surrounded by infantry, you can stompy feet that unit twice, which is fantastic. Yeah, that's uh, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. House Griffith. Uh, Glory of the Charge, add one to the attacks characteristic of a model with this household tradition during any turn in which it charged or performed heroic intervention. In addition, they can always heroically intervene as if they were a character. This is actually one I don't see that much. Yeah, I think I, it's, I think it just being situational is why you don't see it. That, and for the most part, I see lots of knights being made characters, so that if your knights are already characters, there's no reason to that's true. Yeah. 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 And I mean, one attack, one attack is nice, but there's other traits. There other household traits are just better. Mm-hmm. Uh, such as one of my favorites, House Hawk Shroud. Uh, you count as having uh, twice the number of wounds remaining for determining which damage profile you're using. So you degrade 
half as fast. That is probably my favorite, but then again, that's the same thing as the end in one for yeah. Race Knights. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's it's really good because one of the ways you can deal with knights if you're playing against them is to try to wear them down. If you can't, if you don't have an army that can just flat out destroy a knight right away, if you can chip them down, even if you just get them down to their middle band, that slows them down. It makes their shooting and fighting just that much less effective. Sometimes that can be enough to just give you t- give you time to breathe. Um, against Hawkshroud, you don't get that. Hawkshroud is pretty much good to go until they've lost eighteen wounds on a knight, and at that point, they're they've already probably done what they set out to do. And even then, they're only in their middle band. They don't get down to their bottom band until they're at three wounds left. And at that point, they're practically dead anyway. And then I love their stratagem. Because if you're playing a mixed army, because I, I play mine along with my sisters, uh, staunch allies, two command points. Uh, which, by the way, that House Terran one is three command points. So it is it is a beefy, expensive one. But being able to fight twice with a knight is great. Two command points for staunch allies. Um you choose uh, or use stratagem immediately after an enemy unit declares a charge against an Imperium unit from your army. Choose a friendly house Hawkshroud model that is more than an inch away from any enemy units within 12 inches of the unit that is being charged. You fire Overwatch as though you were uh, being charged. And then if they succeed at the charge, you get to heroically intervene six inches. No, that sorry. kind of sounds very towy to me. Not, not Sorry, not six inches, 2d6 inches. <laughs> Still sounds towy. Yeah. So, Which is why you like it. Well, it is what I, it is, it's the greater good for, for knights. And you use that thing on it, which is why I try to like, like when I was running my sister's army, I would, sisters and knights, I would keep a crusader near a unit that was likely to get charged. So, okay, yeah, you go ahead and charge the sister's unit. Now the crusader with all its guns is going to open fire on you and then try to charge in and stomp you to death. <laughs> or, you know, try, yeah, so, it's it can be super effective at and especially if it's with the sheer number of shots you're throwing out. Yes, you're only hitting on sixes, but if you've got an Avenger Gatling cannon, a rapid fire battle cannon, a Icarus assault cannon, two heavy stubbers, and a heavy flamer, you'll you'll put out enough damage to peel off a few models and make that either make that charge less likely or just blunt that assault a bit. It can be really, really helpful. And yes, it does play like town. I know town. That's one of the reasons I like it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Let's see. House Cadmus. Reroll wound rolls of one in the fight phase for attacks made by models of this household tradition against units which only contain models with a wound characteristic of 12 or less. This is another one yeah. I just don't see much. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like your knight is good at killing things that are way smaller than it. Which, spoilers, knights already were good at. (laughs) Yeah. And wound rolls of one, I mean, you're wounding most of those things on twos anyway, so, I mean, it's it's a little bit of extra insurance, but it's really not necessary. And their stratagem, three command points, use the stratagem immediately. It's a bioscryer, cogitator array. Basically, it's if somebody deep strikes within 12 inches of you, you can shoot at them as if it were the shooting phase, which is good. It's good, but three command points for that is seriously expensive. Yeah. It, but it, it's also just, it's a weak household trait. It's, it's, it's not necessary. And then House Morton, which I know, I've, I've seen this one used a few times. Close quarter killers. Add one to the hit rolls in the fight phase for attacks made by a model with this household tradition during any turn in which it charged, was charged, or, or performed a heroic intervention. 
which is nice, although it's unnecessary on Gallants, because Gallants, when they're at full health, already hit it too. But to get for all your other knights gets them to being quite kind of at the same level. I don't know. And their stratagem is uh, one command point, Slayer's Shadows. Use this stratagem in your shooting phase before choosing a House Morton unit uh, from your army to shoot with. Until the end of the phase, that unit ignores all modifiers positive and negative when making its attacks. It turns it into a Dark Reaper. <laughs> For one command point, which that's that's pretty nice. I can definitely see value there because obviously Dark Reapers are awesome. And one of the reasons is because they're not affected by any of those penalties. So your army, your opponent is running flyers. I don't care. Your opponent is running guys that are harder to hit when they're in cover. I don't care. I will just shoot you. Having to spend command points on it is a little rough, but at one command point, it's not yeah, one that. One command point's fine. Yeah, especially right. because, again, you, with knights, as we're going to see with some of these stratagems, a command point battery is almost a necessity if you want to get the most effectiveness out of them. Then we're going to cut over to Mechanicus Traditions. House Raven. This one is super popular for obvious reasons. <laughs> a relentless advance. Models with this household tradition do not suffer the penalties to their hit rolls for advancing and firing assault weapons. Furthermore, at, during a turn in which a unit with this household tradition advances, all of its heavy weapons are treated as assault weapons. Oh my, yes, that is super good. This yep. on a uh, like on a Castellan, I've played against that. A Castellan that is constantly advancing and doesn't care is it sounds awesome and scary. <laughs> it is awesome and scary because they're you know all the you know, all their assault weapons all their heavy weapons become assault well all they have is heavy weapons so the, yeah they all become assault weapons and they don't take any penalty and then their stratagem which i believe this one went up to 3 cp uh order of companions uh use the stratagem at the start of your shooting phase pick a house raven model from your army until the end of the phase Reroll all hit rolls of one for that model. This includes hit rolls, wound rolls, damage rolls, and rolls made to determine the number of shots fired by weapons that make random number of attacks. <laughs> Reroll all the ones. And that is why House Raven is also pretty nasty because uh, you'll, you know, you do that on a uh, Castellan. Who okay? Let's say I don't have Bobby G to let me reroll stuff. Well, I'll just ha I'll use Call's Wrath instead, and I'll overcharge it because I reroll all my ones to hit, and I'm strength nine, so I'm wounding most things on twos or threes. I'll reroll all my ones there. It's two d six shots. Well, I'm not going to roll any ones on the number of shots. It just makes them uh, specifically their castlings, but I mean they're good. It's good with anything that can shoot. But Castellans particularly are nasty with that. Uh, well, and I think these households kind of get to the point and why we were talking about earlier, why you only see certain knights or certain builds. Because the household traditions and the, the, the stratagems and the relics and stuff all like make you kind of lean into one way or the other. Either go all shooty and lean in with like house Raven or you go all assault and you take something like house Tarrant. And there's, if you try to play in the middle and do both, you're not using, you're not being nearly as effective as you could be. Right. Yeah. Order companions did go up to three CP. So that, that one is, they de determined that that one was just too cheap at two CP. <laughs> and it was, <laughs> yes. And it was uh, next up house Tyrannus on grace. Uh, this is a six up feel no pain. Uh, but only against mortal wounds. 
which uh, admittedly is something that the Knight Codex has n- does not have a lot of n- really any good ways to deal out other than when they explode. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, the smite changes and all that mortal wounds, especially from the psychic phase, don't get dished out nearly as much. Now, other ways of creating mortal wounds would probably still hurt them, but yeah, like psychically, a death- yeah, a Death Guard army could put some hurt because the death guard army can just put out mortal wounds like crazy outside the psychic phase. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, and then their stratagem is our darkest hour, which also got bumped up to three CP. And here's why, uh, use the stratagem when a house Tyrannus model from your army is reduced to zero wounds, but did not explode. Roll a D six on a four up, set the model up again at the end of the phase as close as possible to its previous position with, and more than one inch from any enemies with D three wounds remaining. <laughs> Yeah. So, so yeah. Oh, it it died during your opponent's fight phase. Oh well, I'll pay three CP. It gets on a four up. It gets back up, and I can shoot with it next turn. That is uh, just keeping and you know being able to bounce a knight back from death is fantastic. Uh, yeah, it only comes back with D three wounds, so it's going to be in its bottom band. But that's way better than dead. So well, and then this is where. Like the CP batteries, as we mentioned earlier, really, really help because if you have a way to regenerate command points and you have, you know, extra battalions to get extra command points, you can do this multiple times. And instead of, you know, you kill a knight, hey, I finally killed this big giant thing. Ah, here's the command. Here's the stratagem to bring it back. Oh, and I'm going to do it again next turn when you kill it again. Like that's super, super useful. Right, right. And this is an army that is hungry for command points because they just have an amazing array of stratagems that are expensive, but they're a lot of them are just really useful. Next up, House Crast, Cold Fury, reroll failed hit rolls in the fight phase with a model with with this household tradition during any turn in which it was it charged, was charged, performed a heroic intervention. In addition, you can reroll all failed hit rolls in the fight phase for a model with this tradition against Titanic units. So it hates you if it's in close combat with you, and it hates you worse if you are big. Um, the House R- Crass Stratagem, uh, one command point can, for controlled aggression. Uh, use the stratagem in the fight phase before choosing a House Crass, knight, uh, House Crass unit to fight with. Until the end of the phase, each unmodified hit roll of six counts for two, two hits instead of, th- of one, or three hits instead of one if the target is a chaos unit. You can't. A model cannot be affected by both controlled aggression and the thunder stomp, death grip, or chain sweep stratagems in the same turn. So uh, they're not letting you stack it with the other really good assault based stratagems they have. But although, if you're going against a unit of like infantry, if you're using your stompy feet, where you're going to get lots of swings, that it's more useful there against bigger targets. Only getting those on sixes. I mean, granted, you are re-rolling failed hit rolls against you know anything that's Titanic, so you've got a better chance to score those sixes. But it that it it is this is a uh, this is a melee focused house. I haven't seen Crast used really, and just because it does require you to get up close and personal, which knights can definitely do, but it means your other knights are, that are in the backfield shooting aren't getting any benefit from this fact, mm-hmm. you know, this faction trait. And then finally, House Volker, which, Dennis, you have personal experience with. Reroll hit rolls of one for a model with this tradition whenever you are resolving an attack with a ranged weapon that is targeting the closest enemy unit. <laughs> yeah. 
And then their stratagem, which is also only one command point, saturation bombardment. Use the stratagem in your shooting phase before choosing a house Volker model from your army to shoot with. Until the end of the phase, each unmodified hit roll of six made from that model's shooting attack scores two hits instead of one. Uh, this one, I think, is just far more effective than Crast uh, is because shooting is gen- – as much as it's been debated and talked about with our listeners, uh, shooting is still better than assault. So, yeah, uh, Volker basically being able to Tesla all their weapons out is really solid. Not quite as solid as Raven, though. I think of the Mechanicus traditions, Raven is still the strongest. The other one's a good second. Uh, yeah, no, no. Volker is a, definitely a, a solid second. Uh, although Tyrannus, with that stratagem, being able to bounce back is also quite effective. So, yeah, I'd say there's, of all these traditions, there's like three like, the three big ones would be probably Terran, Hawkshroud, and Raven. And then after that, probably Morton and Volker. And then Cadmus, Griffith... Or no, it's Tyrannus that bounces back, sorry. Yeah. Tyrann- yeah. yeah. Uh, that, but yeah, I'd say Tyrannus and Morton are pretty solid. And then Crast and Griffith and Cadmus, I feel sorry for you. Yeah. Yeah, th- those... La- those. I mean, and again, knights aren't bad. They're just not the best versions of them. And th- this is one of those books where... I think the household tradition, you know, some books have these chapter style traits where it's like, oh, no, I can see I can see solid builds for all of these. These definitely like as far as match play effectiveness, these there's definitely like three or four clear winners on here. And that's that that's possibly not the best design. Well, and that's the thing, like if you're playing if you're playing an Imperial Guard or Imperial Knights army, you're already kind of committing to. I have I'm going to go all in on like one aspect because I don't have a lot of models. I don't have, you know, I'm big targets. So you kind of want to just it it benefits you to go completely all in on a theme, uh, which isn't bad. It's just that you wind up having your all melee or your all uh, shooting ones. And then the ones that kind of try to split the difference just wind up not being as good. Mm hmm. And also, you know, the stratagems make a, a big part of it, which is yes. like Raven is absolutely one of the strongest on here, just because that order can just one turn of I reroll all the ones is just so solid. Well, and and like to be honest with you, the the household traits for House Tyrannus, that's good. It's fine. Yeah, it's only it only it gets elevated because it has access to that stratagem. Right. Like that's that's the big thing. It's like without that stratagem. Yeah, they would. It would be in the same tier with the other ones, right? And, and looking, so let's get into some of the other stratagems. And again, look at why this army is so CP hungry. Um, and even with the the change to the Night Lance rule, where they can get up to six CP if they put in three Titanic Knights, um, that's you know that gives you nine. That's not enough. Yeah, I mean to to really, you're, which is why you need that extra. Like you need a battalion to get up to fourteen, uh, you know, or more if you can get it. Well, it's like, like some of these will not get used much, uh, like Iron Aegis, which you choose a Dominus Knight and pay two CP. It can't move, which is already a, generally a bad play for it anyway. Uh, and then friendly Imperium units within six, if they're wholly within six inches of it, have a five up and vulnerable save. I don't think that's worth two CP. No, not at all. <laughs> and, and for what you, and I've, I've never seen it used, um, it's it's like one of these great narrative, not all that effective. Most units that are like you've already gotten like if if you're playing them as a CP battery, you've gotten what you want out of them. 
by bringing them, you don't need they don't need to survive after that generally. Mm-hmm. Um, noble sacrifice for two CP. This one's just a this one's fun. It makes your knights explode on a four instead of a six. I've had that used against me. And it can be very effective because knights exploding will hurt things. I've had mm-hmm. knights die to other knights exploding next to them. <laughs> Just because, you know, D6 mortal wounds, can, you know, yeah. if you're if you're weakened, D6 mortal wounds might be it. And uh, or I've had knights by dying be more effective against all the things around them than by actually doing, you know, getting in combat. That one's two CP. Yeah, that one can be very effective. Uh, Thunderstomp uh, for one CP. Uh, use this uh, uh, immediately after fighting with the Titanic Imperial Knights model from your army, so armagers need not apply. Uh, choose an enemy infantry or swarm unit within an inch of that model and roll a dice on a four up. The enemy unit suffers D three mortal wounds. No, not when you've got other things to spend your CP on. For for D three mortal wounds on a four up, if I spend a command point, when I'm probably going to do more damage just by stepping on them anyway. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> like how how rough would it be? I spent my command point and I rolled a three, or I spent my command point, I rolled a four up, and then I rolled a one on my D three mortal wounds. It, one that's not a fair trade. There's just no, too many places where that can fall where that doesn't work. Sky Reaper protocols only good if you have Helverins. Uh, Let's you reroll failed hit rolls with with uh, armature auto cannons, which armature auto cannons will get work done. Um, mm. You're you're it doesn't get rid of the uh, the penalty to hit, but at least gives you a second chance to hit, which might be enough. And because uh, the the uh, armature the armature uh, auto cannons two d three shots each. I, I, that's something I don't know if we paid enough attention to when we did our our first night reviews. 2d3 shots each, 60-inch range, strength 7, AP minus 1, which is standard autocannon stuff, 3 damage each, and you ignore the penalty for moving and firing it. You And consider a Helverin has two of those. 4d3 shots with that profile. Yeah, it's dealing a lot of damage. It's dealing a lot of damage. Most flyers are like tough 6, tough 7. So any of those hits that go through are going to hurt and if they're non-flyers but they just have fly a lot you know a lot of those flying infantry flying monstrous creatures a lot of them won't be able to stand up to that that level of firepower very easily rotate ion shields this one is a money stratagem you will use this one every turn if you can afford it um probably not so much on dominus knights because on dominus knights it is stupid expensive at three cp but on your Questorus Knights, I use this at, I mean, granted, you can only, if you have multiple Knights, you're only using it once per phase. So you can, you, you're limited on how often you can use it. So you got to kind of pick and choose, but uh, increasing their invulnerable save by one to a maximum of three, because it might stack with other like relics and such. And the thing about it is, is it does say when an enemy unit targets an Imperial Knights vehicle unit from your army that has an invulnerable save. It doesn't specify shooting, and this is something I had to remind my opponents of a number of times because I would put the Sanctuary Relic on my Knight Gallant, which gives him a 5-up invuln in melee. So when they would target me in the fight phase, like, I'm going to put my attacks against your Knight, well, you targeted me. I'm going to spend a command point in this phase to rotate my Ion Shield. Now I have a 4-up invuln in melee, which makes a huge difference. 
<laughs> so, uh, but it's it is only lasts until the phase. So, uh, I mean, if you have the command points to burn, you can use it when you're being overwatched because that's during the charge phase. You can use it during your opponent's shooting phase. Um, if you have sanctuary, you can use it in either player's fight phase. I mean, it's it's very effective. But I I unless you're just doing like one. Cat, like if you're doing one cast on the night, then maybe if you absolutely positively need it to survive around, spend the three CP. Don't burn it on Helverins or or, or Warglades. You know, don't burn it on any armagers; they're not worth it. But mm-hmm. on your Questorus knights, it's it's one you're going to use a lot. Um, Heirlooms of the household—that's their relic stratagem, and I think something that's important to remember about this one, which is different from all the other relic stratagems is that the models that gain the relics become characters with all the benefits that that entails, such as the ability to heroically intervene or uh, depending on missions. Like in ITC, there's the mission that says you get the bonus point if you have three characters within scoring distance of objectives. If you are playing a knight's army, for three CP, you can guarantee that bonus point pretty much every turn. Because yeah. it is really easy to move three knights up because the objectives are in a cross around the center of the table. So, yeah, de- with regardless of deployment zone, you can get within uh, three of them quite easily. I have done it regularly, and I am not that amazing a player. So if I can pull it off, it's really easy for a really good knight player to, to make that same observation. Uh, so... Uh, That's just something to keep in mind. But it also means that you have characters. So if somebody has an objective to kill a character, that does suddenly mean you're giving up points, or potentially. But it also means they have to kill a knight. So that's a trade-off I'm willing to to take. Um, Exalted Court. Uh, This one uh, is interesting. So this is kind of like the Relic one, but not exactly. It costs 1 CP or 3 CP. Um, use the stratagem before the battle. After you have chosen your warlord, choose one Questorus or Dominus class model. So again, our armagers need not apply. From your army for 1 CP or 2 for 3 CP. Each model you choose gains character and gains an Imperial Knight's Warlord trait. Uh, note that this model is only regarded as your warlord for, for the purposes of the warlord trait. All your the knights must have different warlord traits and if randomly generated reroll duplicate results, no model can have more than one. Uh, so... The the Night Warlord traits tend to be things like uh, you have an extra command point. So technically, this can cost two, if you think about it. Uh, ion Bulwark, which gives you a four up and vulnerable against shooting. So with your rotate ion shields, that can become a three. Uh, add one to your Warlord's attack characteristics. Uh, add two to advance and charge rolls uh, for friendly units with friendly household units within six inches of your Warlord such as the Warlord itself, who is within six inches of himself. Mm-hmm. Uh, choose a weapon. Unmodified sixes cause the uh, to wound, make the uh, target suffer a mortal wound in addition to normal damage. Or uh, enemies suffer minus one leadership within when they're within 12 inches of your Warlord. Uh, I would skip that one. Or there's all the household traits as well. So... Like, uh, Raven, add one to the saving throws made for your warlord against attacks that have an AP characteristic of one, or of, you know, of minus one. Uh, other solid houses, uh, Volker, wound, car- wound rolls of one, two, or three made for attacks against your warlord always fail. 
even if the strength characteristic higher than your warlord's toughness characteristic. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, this exalted court lets you pick and choose warlord traits. I kind of like the relic one better for the most part. Well, and if you really want to, though, you you pick both of them, and then you have what five character knights? Yeah, like yeah, you could up to five. Like that's that, and that's the reason why, like the one where it's like, ah, you can you can heroically intervene as if your characters, yeah, or I could literally spend some command points, make them and all do, characters, and do other things. Yeah, let's see, pack hunters, uh, armager warglaive lets you reroll failed charge rolls. Uh, while they're within 12 inches of another. So you pit, you charge with an Armager Warglaive, and then Armager Warglaives that are within 12 inches of that Warglaive can reroll failed charge rolls. If you're running a pack of Armager Warglaives, that can be useful. It's only one command point. I haven't seen that in play, really. Mm-hmm. So uh, Oathbreaker Guidance System, on the other hand, so good it went up in CP because... Uh, <laughs> Oath- okay, so Oathbreaker Missiles... You don't get to take an invulnerable save against, and they're AP minus six. So you don't get any saves at all. And they do D6 damage, and they are strength 10. So, or sorry, they're AP minus four. Sorry, not AP minus six, but AP minus four at 10 damage and no invulnerables, or strength 10, no invulnerable save, D6 damage. It's not a guaranteed character kill, but it's a solid shot at one. And Oathbreaker yeah. Guidance System lets you snipe characters with it. So uh, for three CP, you can pick out an enemy character and just put a missile down their face. If you can, if you rolled a, you still have to roll to hit. So it's not guaranteed, but you're probably going to hit them. You're probably going to wound them, and you've got a good chance of killing them just outright. So I mean, unless I, I mean, hey, at least if you're a custode, you'd still get a six up armor save. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Full tilt. This one's a good one. Two CP. Choose the stratagem in the charge phase. Choose a knight vehicle from your army that advanced this turn. Uh, they can declare charge even though they advanced. And I like that you don't have to declare this one on. Un- Sometimes you have to declare them like in the- like before you advance. But this one you don't declare until the charge phase. So you can kind of see how everything ends up during the movement phase and the and shooting and like decide if you actually need to, to use this in the charge phase or not. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like a house, this is perfect for a house Raven night list too, because you're advancing anyway, because you're, you're advancing and shooting because you don't, you don't take any penalties for it. And now you've got the opportunity to charge as well. This is, you know, just makes a Raven house Raven army just that much more effective. Uh, iron hail, heavy stubbers, all use this, choose a night detachment from your army. <laughs> Uh, for one command point, all the heavy stubbers get AP minus one, which um, that could be the heavy stubbers that are on top of your armagers. They can be the heavy stubbers that are on your, your ball turret for each knight uh, or the ones that are attached to your uh, rapid fire battle cannons. Depending on what you're facing, like if I'm facing up against an army that has really weak saves and I just want to make sure they don't get any, or if they're just running lots of infantry where it doesn't hurt me that this weapon's only strength four, but I want to make sure I can stick the wounds. I would add, you know, the, the, the fact that this is conditional, you spend it at the beginning, you know, at before the battle, but you don't necessarily have to do it like in your list building. I like having this available for that. You know, it gives you a very situational weapon you can, you can use. Let's see. Devastating reach. This one is very important given how, 
Um, the rules are about like you can't charge something that you can't get in base to base with. And if you're a knight, if they're on the second floor of a building, you can't get in base to base with them because you're a knight and you're not allowed to climb buildings like King Kong. Devastating Reach. You choose a model from your army that has not yet charged. Has to be Titanic. Uh, you choose an enemy unit that is entirely on ruins or a sector mechanicus structure, and none of its models are on the ground floor. So there, there are some situational things. But uh, if your model can end its move, charge move, within two inches horizontally and six inches vertically of that enemy unit, the charge is successful and you can make close combat attacks against it in the ensuing fight phase. But you can't use Titanic feet. Those hit rolls will automatically fail. If you cannot end your charge move within the above-mentioned distance, the charge fails. For having this in your pocket for one CP is just is really good for assault knights because like if you've got a gallant, nothing is safe from you. Mm-hmm. You can't as long as the you know unless they're on like the third floor where your base will not like if your base can't get within six inches of them vertically. And again, this is part of that weirdness where like you could play this game with just bare bases and it would it would be uh, j- for assault it would be equally as effective, but. You know, it's that that nobody has like units don't have vertical height; they just have bases. So this is a way around that for knights and being able to grab on, you know, to swing your sword or your thunder fist at somebody and uh, and still take them out is really handy. Uh, chain sweep. This lets you basically try to do mortal wounds against uh, if you've got a re- uh, reaper chain sword. After fighting with the knight model, so this app, so you do your attacks and then you get to see if you want to do a chain sweep. Uh, roll a d6 for each enemy model within three inches of that model. On a six, that enemy model's unit suffers a mortal wound. If you are being attacked by a mob of boys or nids or anything like that, this is a good way to thin those numbers after you've stomped, you know, after you've done your stomp attacks at them. Uh, again, this one can't be combined with controlled aggression from House Crest which is unfortunate because it's a lot of fun. Not as fun as the <laughs> next one, though. Death Grip, which is a... F- Remember I said that knights don't have a good way to uh, do mortal wounds? Well, they do if you want to, you know, without exploding. This is one of the few ways they do. You have to build your models right, which is... This is really only going to be used on a gallant because I don't see too many other units using the Thunderstrike Gauntlet. Usually you go with the Chainsword because you don't want the minus one to hit. But with the Gallant already hitting on twos most of the time, it's not really a penalty. And this is really nice because there's few units that can stand up to this. Um, Use a stratagem immediately after fighting with Imperial Knight's model from your army that is equipped with a Thunderstrike Gauntlet, Paragon Gauntlet, or Freedom's Hand, which are relic versions of the same. Resolve an additional attack with that weapon against the enemy unit within an inch that consists of a single model. So we're talking one vehicle, one character, another knight. Yeah, something like that. If the attack hits, the enemy model suffers D3 mortal wounds instead of the normal damage and is caught in a death grip. Both players roll off and add their respective model's strength characteristic to their result. If your opponent results equals or exceeds yours, they break three break free and nothing else happens. Otherwise, the model enemy model suffers an additional D3 mortal wounds and both players roll off again as before. Continue to do so until either the enemy model breaks free or it is slain. If you get something that has like really less than a like a five or five strength or less, they are not getting away. They're really not. 
What do uh, do knights have high strength? Uh, they they do actually. Oh. Uh, they have a strength eight. Um, <laughs> I mean technically, okay. If they had strength four and you rolled a one and they rolled a five, they could get away. So, but it requires you to roll terribly and it requires them to roll very well. Right. Uh, which which is possible. It is possible. But you know. You're doing at least D3 mortal wounds, and depending on what you're targeting, you're probably going to continue to do D3 mortal wounds. Uh, if you can grab another knight and you can just keep re-rolling, you know, that's also good. Again, you know, if you, you do this and it's after fighting, so again, you're fighting another knight. You, if you're a gallant, you used your Reaper chain sword so you could hit it without any penalty. You've cut it down. Maybe it's down to its like last few wounds. You death grip it. Crushy, crushy. Even if I only get like, I only beat the roll. Like I get you on like the first roll off and then you break free on the second one. I might have you dead before you make, even get a chance to make the second one. Mm-hmm. I, it's, it's a very, very effective stratagem and only one CP. Ah, uh, and the thing is, we still, I don't want to read all of these. We There's still two pages of stratagems to go. <laughs> well, thankfully, like, page and a half of it are the ones that we already covered. Right. Because they're all the about, household ones. Right. We've talked about those. I think uh, of the remaining ones, uh, the the cu- there's a couple here that I think really should be brought out. First off is Valiant Last Stand. This one is only if you're an Imperialist Knight, which is Terran, Hawkshroud, Griffith, Cadmus, and Morton. Use a stratagem when a quest or Imperialis model from your army is reduced to zero wounds but did not explode. Before removing it from the battlefield, it can immediately either shoot as if it were in your shooting phase or fight as if it were your fight phase. You act as though you have one wound remaining for determining which characteristics to use on your damage table. So it's not quite, you know, bringing a knight back from death, but it's actually about the next best thing. And considering you don't have to wait until the end of the phase, if you died in close combat, getting an extra set of swings, either if you already attacked or maybe you didn't get a chance to attack, can be really useful. Or if you died from shooting, maybe even if you're only hitting on fives, getting to throw out a few more shots can be really useful. This one's also cheaper than our Darkest Hour, and it's available to half the night houses. So it's a good one. The other one is also an Imperialist Stratagem. Uh, Mechanicus doesn't need the help. They already have house raven they're they're good uh three command points for sally forth you can use the stratagem during deployment you can send one imperialis or armager class unit from your army or questors or armager class so no dominus no big knights from your army to outflank the enemy instead of setting it up on the battlefield at the end of any of your movement phases which would be starting from turn two uh at the end of your movement phases, this unit can join the battle, set it up so that it is within six inches of any battlefield edge and more than nine inches away from any enemy models. You can only use the stratagem once per battle. <laughs> Having the ability to flank a knight is really, really solid and get it within potential charge range as well. Yeah, yeah it's pretty dirty. <laughs> yeah. three For three CP, absolutely. Like... It's not an all-the-time thing. I would not build an army around doing it, but it is really good to have it. Again, it's one of the stratagems. Have it in your back pocket. It's conditional. If you see how your opponent's deploying, don't, de- you know, you're going to be deployed first most of the time anyway, because you're going to have very, if you're playing knights, you have very few drops. You probably have <laughs> no more than five at most. If you're doing the alternating deployment thing, you might be entirely placed before they put down a single unit. 
if you're playing against such an army, this is good to be able to kind of play that same game with them and be able to react to their deployment in a way that you normally don't get to as a knight player. So it's good to have. Not all houses need apply, but the houses that don't have, you know, House Raven, this is pretty good. Right. <laughs> and then we get into, like, relics. Uh, I, this book is ridiculous in that every weapon basically has at least one relic version. Right. And some of them are, are house-locked. Some of them are either locked to just a Mechanicus house. Some of them are locked to individual houses. House Terran has a has a rapid-fire battle cannon uh, called the Thunder of Voltaurus. It re- replaces their battle cannon with a Strength 9 instead of Strength 8 rapid-fire battle cannon that rolls 3d6, drop the lowest result for determining number of shots. So it's a more consistent, slightly higher damage or slightly higher strength weapon. Um, but... Like the ones, the things you're going to see most often are the things that like anybody can take. You're going to see sanctuary a lot because having an infant save in melee, very good. Fury, you're going to see endless fury a lot. Endless fury is a better Gatling cannon with two more shots and uh, its sixes explode and do two shots and two hits instead of one on the hit rolls. So. And with 14 shots, you're probably going to roll a couple of sixes. So you're really looking at like 16 to 18 shots with this weapon or you know, 15 to 16. Uh, I've seen the Paragon Gauntlet a number of times. It is a uh, Thunder Strike Gauntlet that does not have the minus one penalty to hit and does eight damage instead of six. <laughs> Three hits with this thing. A Gallant equipped with this is probably going to kill another knight in uh, three hits. So, uh, and also, you know, strength eight, AP minus four, the another knight is not going to get a save against it unless they've got an invuln save. You're going to beat them to death if you have this. Judgment and Sky Shield are improved carapace weapons. I like them a lot. Uh, if you're looking for cheap relics to throw on things, these are good choices. Although, uh, people kept asking me why I was taking Sky Shield instead of Endless Fury. And now the more I look at it, the more I don't have a good answer for that. So, um, Sky Shields, uh, I mean, it's a better Icarus Auto Cannon, but I think. But it's still an Icarus Auto Cannon. It's still an Icarus Auto Cannon as opposed to a Avenger Gatling Cannon. It has more range and better uh, and more shots, but yeah, it's, I mean, then a standard Icarus, not the Endless Fury. Endless Fury is way better. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mechanicus Knights, you do see Call's Wrath, which is, um, a better Plasma (laughs) Decimator for your, uh, for your uh, Knight Castellan. I mean, you can supercharge it. You take a mortal wound after all the shots have been resolved. And it's, to to put it in comparison, a normal uh, Plasma Decimator is Strength 7, AP minus 3, 1 damage, or Strength 8, AP minus 3, 2 damage, and, you know, 2d6 shots each at 48 inches. Uh, this basically increases the Strength... AP and damage of all of those. So without yeah. overcharging your strength eight, AP minus four, two damage, your strength nine, AP minus four, three damage if you supercharge. Which is also why House Raven being able to advance, fire this, and then pay th- pay a few CP to re-roll all the ones so they can pretty much supercharge this all the time. Yeah. 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 Sometimes if you have a bad household trait, you also get a bad relic, such as Cadmus. Mm-hmm. Cadmus has uh, the, uh, the Hunter's Eye. Enemy units don't receive bonuses to their saving throws for cover. Yay. Womp womp. Womp womp. 
Uh, House Morton, on the other hand, gets a ch- Reaper Chainsword that does D3 mortal wounds on each target in addition to the normal damage when they roll a six to wound. Uh, that's, that's nice for them. <laughs> but yeah, uh, relic-wise, I mean, the big ones, Sanctuary, Paragon Gauntlet, Endless Fury, Call's Wrath, Mark of the Omnissiah for Mechanicus Knights. Again, if you're, if you're kind of spreading out a few relics, that's you... Uh, Regain D3 lost wound. Like, you roll a D6 at the start of your turn, you regain D3 on a 6. Otherwise, you regain 1. Having a knight that's maybe not taking a lot of damage, sitting in the backfield, and then just it's just regenerating and keeping firing, very nice. And that's the thing. Like, this is why the heirlooms of the household is such a good stratagem for them, and you're always going to try to spin the 3, the three CP on it. Because, I mean, there's, there's so many options for good things here that you can come up with three relics easily, easily, easily. I mean, regardless of which, you know, which household you're playing, there will be options here that will fit your play style. And again, free blades. I love the concept of free blades. They're not going to come up in, in match play at all, but for narrative play, I highly encourage people to play them because they're just, they're fun. You know, they've just got some fun things going on. So, again, you know, going through that list of stratagems, and again, I didn't even get through all of them. There were just so many of them. You can see why this army, I mean, you can play pure knight army, but unless you've, you either have to build it so that you minimize the amount of stratagems that you, that you're likely to use, which I think puts you at a disadvantage, disadvantage against knight armies that will leverage the however many points they spend on their bare minimum CP battery. The stratagems make this book that much. I mean, individually, knights are strong. Don't get me wrong. Knights are good. But man, the stratagems make them just super effective. But they, a lot of, you're either using them a lot or they're big ones that burn a lot of CP. So you need, you need to bring something else with them to be effective. So then the, the question is, how do certain army, like, I guess focusing on the armies that we have, how do you deal with knights? Because that's the, it's like short of bringing a knight to a knight fight. You know, you can, you know, obviously one answer is to bring knights of your own. The downside of that is now suddenly everybody's playing knights, which is, that's also not good. If the only answer to beating knights is to bring more knights, that's poor game design as well. So what, like what tools do we have in our toolboxes to deal with these things? Uh, I think about the only time that I've ever killed a knight is uh, surrounding it with boys and then having a couple of power claws kill it. Yeah, and you know you need those those high strength, high damage, and melee is a good place because most knights don't ha- you know short of taking one relic, they don't have invulnerables in uh, in close combat. So yeah, I mean that's definitely one yeah. way to do it. But you've got to have the you know you've got to have the units that can do it. Yeah, you've got to have you've got to have both the high strength stuff that can do it, and then you also have the chaff that can survive like the attacks mm-hmm. from the knight. Yes. Right. <laughs> yeah, my only two successful things in knights have been wraith knights and fire prisms, which are two things to either get up close to do lots of damage in melee or lots of damage from long range and hope they don't use their invone save or get yeah. their invone save. Yeah, and, and, you know, kind of going back to, to you, Richard, a bit, one of the problems is also you can't tar pit a knight because they can just move away yeah. from you, especially mm-hmm. if you're right. infantry. They just step over you and then keep doing what they were doing. Right. Uh, 
Yeah, I know, like, with my Tau, Tau surprisingly don't have, depending on the build, don't necessarily have as much high-strength firepower, because that's not necessarily good against other armies, and most of the units that have them, like, rail guns are okay, but they're a very small number of shots. You're not going to kill a knight with a rail gun, unless mm-hmm. they're already weakened. The uh, ion accelerator on the Riptide can be useful, but a lot of times you're seeing more people using the the heavy ba- uh, the heavy burst cannon, which is not strong enough to consistently hurt a knight. I mean, you you're going for for volume of fire there, but uh, you kind of have to build your not you know you have to build your anti knight forces with the understanding that you're either going to be chipping away at it and hoping to wear it down, which you have to do at least 12 wounds on it to start getting it to be less effective. Melta is good against them. I mean, you still have their five up invuln to deal with. And that's a frustrating thing where a third of your shots are not going to do any damage. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, even your, your low AP ones, uh, which tend to be your high damage ones. So yeah, it's, it's rough. Uh, I'm glad that uh, like for sisters, I'm glad they have access to a fair amount of Melta. I'm glad that, uh, Exorcists do D6 damage now instead of D3 because D3 was just not enough to deal with things like that. D6 starts getting work done. Penitent engines. I will not stop crowing about how good they are. Anything with that is high enough strength to wound knights on a three and really deny them any useful armor save and do a lot of damage. You know, it's, it's kind of like the slightly bigger version of uh, Richard's power claw orcs, um, yeah. which I think would also mean carnifexes would be a good uh, choice against knights. Yeah. That the downside is the knights, you know, Carnifexes and Penitent Engines for that matter, don't have the chaff to absorb uh if somebody puts a Reaper chain sword through your skull. Because <laughs> yeah. those swings do six damage apiece, which two of those swings would kill a uh kill a penitent engine, and I think it would take two of those to probably kill a uh, Carnifex. Yeah. Yeah, um, Guard, uh, strangely enough, have some of the best options because they can just throw a ton of, you know, they've got access to things like Basilisks, Lehman Russes. They have a bunch of high strength, low AP fire, uh, high damage firepower that they can throw at, throw at it. And they have the bodies to kind of screen a knight and, you know, maybe slow down its advance a bit. Although the knight can still just step over them, but, uh. It's got to have a place to step. Yeah, that's True. the yeah yeah. If you can fill the board with bodies, you can kind of cut down the uh, effectiveness of the knight's ability to maneuver. Right, which was what, which was the advantage that I did have with with the orcs because well, the knight couldn't get that far away, and I could just charge again. Um, if you can get swings in on the knight, so like if you can play aggressively and assault the knight first and weather, weather the overwatch, which if you're fortunately, if you're going up against a gallant, um, that's not really an issue because at most they're going to have a, either a heavy stubber or melt a gun and a carapace weapon. If they mount one that you'll probably get through if you've got something like, you know, you know, a smash captain or somebody, especially if you've got a, like somebody with a storm shield where you've got an invuln save against their attacks. And yeah, if one gets through, you're in a bad place. But if you can, again, do enough damage to them to get them down to like their middle, or maybe if you're lucky, their bottom band, soften them up to the point where they're not very effective. Knight, knights, it, it's, you either have to be able to deliver a solid knockout blow or you have to be able to 
weather the time it's going to take to wear them down. And most armies can't do both of those at the same time, and some armies have trouble doing either one effectively. I mean, the other possibility is just to try to wear them down with, uh, like, mortal wounds from psychers, but I don't know mm. how many... It, it's that's not still, effective anymore. It's, yeah, and it's yeah. just... Yeah, with uh, Smite being more limited, and you, you might be able to, if you're lucky, and depending on how they place it, you don't get your choice of targeting necessarily. You've got to be relatively close, and if you're within 18 inches of a knight, you're not in a safe space. Right. <laughs> Because the knight might take it personally when you try to make the pilot's head explode. So Yeah, and most psychers are going to be squishy. Yeah, they are. <laughs> they, they really are. Yeah, so, I mean, really where you can try, you have to try, I mean, it's you want to have stuff that can deal with strength eight vehicles anyway, because that counts for a lot of them. You know, tanks, mm-hmm. land raiders, you know, knights, things like that. You need to be able to deal with strength eight high you know good armor save anyway knights you know kind of force your hand in that regard but you also need to be able to outplay them on objectives and that's where having more bodies having objectives secured those are the kinds of things that will help that can help give you an edge in missions but you still have to be and unless you're using the acceptable casualties rule uh you still have to be able to survive the fight and that's where things can get rough because whereas knights slowly lose effectiveness until they die and then suddenly the knight player is down a third of their army, they can kind of pick and choose the things in your army that are likely to hurt them and target, you know, and and focus fire first. Mm -hmm. So there's a reason that knights like are one of the top armies right now. Um, What was it? Fellow Lost Souls keeps a... Uh, kind of a weekly tab on like this is the you know these are the most winning armies of the week. Well, I know like at the last week of the year, uh, Tau like displaced Imperial Knights, and that was the first time in like ten weeks or something. Oh yeah, that, like you know, I, so Imperial Knights are are doing really well on a on a wide basis at this point. Right. Uh, you know, and this is. This is beyond the level of, like, a gatekeeper army. There's plenty of armies that are like, oh, you have to be able to beat this army, but they're not necessarily a tournament-winning army. It's just if you can't mm-hmm. deal with this, you're not going to deal with anything tougher than that. But no, th- this is a solid game-winning army. Knights are, are tough to deal with. Uh, your your best hope sometimes is just hoping you don't draw the knight player. <laughs> Let somebody else right. take that fight. Um, yeah. I've managed to get through, like, me playing knights, I managed to, uh, I think I got through all of Iron Halo without playing a single knight player. I played lots of Eldar, I played lots of Inari, but I didn't (laughs) fight any knight players. Uh, I was not that lucky at, uh, and actually I don't know if I fought any at Show Me Showdown, I did fight knight players at uh, Midmo Maelstrom, though. So, you know, sometimes it's just luck of the draw, uh, but with knights being as good as they are, there's a reason why... I think it's toned down a little bit, not a ton, but a little bit. But it felt like half the half the uh, armies out there were like knight based, yeah, for a while. And I and there's still a significant, you know, there's a significant portion of the battlefield that is going to be, you know, involving knights. So uh, it, it's a rough army to deal with. Uh, you just 
you have to uh, play smart and hope that if you make any ish- make any mistakes, that they don't capitalize on it. Uh, but I mean, really, all you can do is is come equipped with tools that can deal with them, and no, it, you know, no target priority, no to target the gallant first because it's going to be the one that's going to cause you the most trouble right away, or you know, just. Look at the com- like. Look at what else your opponent is bringing. It's like you know what. Like if they've got a Castellan or a Crusader and they no, don't have a Gallant, know that you're gonna have to take out that gun platform because otherwise, they're gonna just pick you apart. If they have a Castellan and you don't, and you're running Knights, it's gonna be a bad game for you because that Volcano Lance will take you apart. Um, you know, just stuff like that. Uh, it's a it's a hard army to play against, though. You know, if, if you're not prepared for it. Yeah, yeah. I can say my Eldar have done decent, but both Custodes and Slanesh have just folded against the Knights. I've had decent, I've had decent luck with Custodes, like killing a Knight because yes. you, you do have high enough strength to be able to take like one out. But yeah, it's like if I'm facing a pure Knight list. Oh yeah, that on becomes the pure that Knight be, list. Yeah. On both of them, I could take out like I took out both armatures. And one, maybe two of the other knights, but it wasn't enough to remove the entire army before I got tabled. Mm-hmm. It's just they're just really hard to deal with unless you have things that are specific that can either melee them with high strength or shoot them from far away with high strength. Yeah, and I, that's actually one of the reasons that things like uh, for Eldar, Shining Spears and Dark Reapers are really you know they they can be very effective against knights you know they get the charge they hit and if they're anari they back you know if they manage to kill something they back away again or you just use fire and fade to you know fire pop it out of line you know pop out of you know pop from behind line of sight fire pop back in because uh you need uh, you know against knights that aren't in your front line yet you need to be able to hide from them and eldar have the tools to do that not a lot of armies do but yeah so it, you know, not not exactly the most rosy thing if you're fighting against knights and you're not prepped for them. But there uh, there are things you can do. You just bring the right units, learn to play smart. You, you can deal with them. You can win games against knights. They're they are not an you know an auto lose if you're seeing them. You know, you don't automatically lose if they're on the other side of the table. You just have to play knowing, knowing what you're getting into. And uh, I think that pretty much, I think that part two of our night review, this, I think this <laughs> makes up for what we didn't cover the first time. <laughs> uh, with that, we'll transition over to uh, hobby progress. I have not done a lot. I've been putting together a few bolt action models, but I've been in the middle of, since our last episode, kind of retooling, rearranging my life a bit because it looks like, I have noticeably high blood pressure. So, hey, everybody, here's your reminder to see your doctor regularly, get stuff checked out, take care of your health. Um, I'm retooling my diet, focusing on exercise. I see the doctor next or later this week. Uh, hopefully they won't send me to the emergency room to get my blood pressure lowered. But uh, I'm looking at a life uh, exercise and medication for a while. So take care of yourself, people. Um, that is... Uh, that's something that's very important. Absolutely. Uh, I have been frantically trying to get stuff ready for LVO, um, playing in the, the friendly tournament for that, and I finally settled on the list. Uh, and I missed a couple weeks after I'd kind of settled on it just because 
work is always busy at the beginning of the year and the holidays and everything. So at this point, I was counting it up. I have 40 cultist models I have to paint, and I have 60 berserkers I have to paint. Um, but other than that, the rest of the army is pretty much done. So <laughs> you've had the, the rest of the army, the rest of the army basically being Karn and the uh, Spartan that I'm taking. But yeah, um, <laughs> so I've been working on that. Um, I've uh, broke out the airbrush. I actually had an Amazon gift card. So I picked up the uh, master uh, airbrush compressor that uh, that Alex had mentioned last time he was on. Uh, and it works great. Super quiet. It you know, fills up the tank and you're able to spray for a good while without having it to have to kick on. Have you noticed less sputter with it? Like less, like any less, like, well, I guess humidity in the line isn't an issue where you are, but <laughs> well, humidity in the line isn't an issue really where I'm at. I've, I noticed some weird issues with the badger airbrush that I was using. And cause I, I have a badger Patriot and I think I got something like clogged up in it. So I basically have, completely disassembled it and it's setting in uh in basically the thinner solution trying to let everything kind of clear out i did in the meantime i did pick up uh the iowata neo because there was a coupon that i had for michael so i was able to get it at like 60 percent off um and i've used that for base kit you know basing and uh priming and it's worked like a dream it was worked so much better than the other one did so i'm getting more consistent pressure um i'm able to get you know, good flow. It's like that. So it, it definitely has helped. I think the previous compressor I had had some issues because it's not, I'm not running into any of the issues that I was having before. So uh, in a, basically in about two hours over a course of two days, I was able to prime all of those 80 models or a hundred models, or whatever that I need to paint. I was able to prime them one day. And then this morning before we recorded, I was able to go through and get them all uh, base coated. So, you know, based down with the corn red. So two hours of work to get two steps done on a hundred models is pretty dang good. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. For me, it's been well holidays, new year. I have not done a heck of a lot. So yeah. Do you have a hat to eat or whatever? No, I'm not there yet. (laughs) He didn't make make any promises, so he doesn't have to eat a hat. Ah, That's fine. Okay. Right. (laughs) Yeah. And I really haven't gotten to do too much either i've been kind of in the process of rearranging my hobby area because i got a new computer so i had to make room for that (laughs) um and get that all set up so i haven't gotten a chance to really put together or paint anything in the last couple of weeks either Uh, yeah i've been kind of in the same spot where i've like been straightening up my hobby area and you know just trying to move out all the christmas stuff that got distributed and dropped off in the garage <laughs> where i work and now it's i actually have space to move around again which is fantastic so nice i actually did have one other piece of hobby progress that i wanted to kind of cryptically mention okay. uh because i've been using the 3d printer to work on a couple of uh items as prize support for midwest conquest and I've kind of managed to make some breakthroughs and I think it's work. think it's going really well. I'll talk more with you guys after we stop recording. Cause you know, I don't want to, I don't want to announce what we're doing yet, but uh, I feel like I've kind of had a breakthrough on that and the 3d printing stuff's going really well. So good, 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 good. I'm, I, how is that just really kind of a trial and trial and error process? Yeah. Um, because it's part of it is like, 
I have to figure out. So when you when you 3D print, obviously it comes out with lines and stuff like that because it's just you know printing layer by layer by layer. So trying to find the best method to like get it to a smooth surface so you can do other things with it and paint it. I've just been trying a bunch of different things, and I think between a couple of different techniques I've tried, I've managed to come up with some really good methods to get everything like in a paintable like position now. So now when I go through and do the next steps, like it's you know, I, okay, now I know that this works on these pieces. So if I do this again, it'll be a lot faster. I won't do as much trial and error. Oh, cool. And yeah. And yeah, we can't tell people what you're, what you're doing yet, but with, but it's going to be, be awesome. Uh, it will be awesome. And all will be revealed later. <laughs> ah, so I think that just wraps, just about wraps up our episode. So, uh, just remember, um, It's after the first of the year, so prices did go up for signing up for Midwest Conquest. Uh, It's now $30 for the event ticket for the Friendly and the GT. Uh, Spots are starting to to sell. We had a a rush of people trying to get the last year-end price, which actually got extended a week because I'm bad at updating things. Uh, But it's been updated now. So so it's now $50 total, $20 for your your event badge, and $30 for the tournament ticket. Uh, The Horse Heresy event is still $30. Uh, Combat Patrol and Night Joss are also still, we still have tickets for those. You can find all the details for that at MidwestConquest.com. So from all of us here at Preferred Enemies, I'm Rob. Kevin. Dennis. And Richard. Good night, good gaming, and remember, we love all factions, including Guard. Preferred Enemies is an Undergopher Radio production and is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial Sharealike 3.0 Unported License. Our theme music is Metal Slug 2 Super Vehicle 001-2, No Need to Reload, originally by Takushi Hayamuda and remixed by Roataka, courtesy of OC Remix. It can be found at ocremix.com.